0: we got it. secret, famous, secret, famous. Uh-huh. secret, famous, secret famous. with paul madison hello everybody i hope everybody is doing delicious and feeling delicious and being delicious that's the word i like to describe the feeling of this time of year when you're just hanging out with friends family eating awesome food, and drinking awesome drinks. Anyway, welcome to the most intimate and deeply personal of podcasts because this is my dear friend, Greg Mayo, who is... I was trying to think of an, al- an analogy, who Greg Mayo is in my life. And uh, if you ever saw that Jack Johnson movie like called Thicker Than Water, where in Galveston, Texas, the dudes surf behind, like, a super tanker. Like, I feel Greg is, like, a super tanker coming down a river, and he's making, like, a six-foot wave. Um, Apparently, I'm going to do the sounds of waves, but so he has a, he's a super tanker, and then there's, like, 20, 30 dudes like me with our boards and our beers, and we're just like, yeah, we're going to get on the mayo super tanker and just ride these waves, brother. And we get to just hang because there's Greg. When I I was walking by the East River thinking about Greg and I was like my entire, I was like reflective. And I was like, my entire career is basically based on Greg. He got me my first gig in a real band where you're getting money to rehearse. You're like, I just, they just paid me to rehearse. Whoa. Uh, He got me my first real teaching kind of gig, you know, like in a school that I still do to this day at an awesome music school. And then... The whole kind of wedding band circuit, my main booking agent, he was there first, and then he was like, ah, just get Paul. You know, (laughs) it's like, I'm like, I was like, oh, my God. Uh, So Greg, so professionally speaking, Greg is, I mean, I was like, oh, man, Greg is like, Greg is beyond, he's, he's like my Yoda or something, so... Uh, and then, but he's like that for so many people because he does so many different things and can do so many different things in the music business, which I talk about in this podcast. This conversation with him, and then, uh, and then on a personal level, he's a dear friend and has been there and helped me at really intense personal times of like experiencing deep family loss that he's experienced more than anybody. I know, personally, it's it's like what he's had to go through on that front is just incredibly heartbreaking and admirable. And he's just, he's the best of the best. I mean, the dude is a gem. He's a gem of a human being. We literally live like two blocks from each other. Two blocks, excuse me, two buildings. We live on the same block. We're buddies who text are like, hey, dude, can you move my car tomorrow? It's like that. So this is, and Greg opens up in like this incredibly beautiful, it was difficult for me to re-listen to it again because it's like he's opening up these wounds, and I'm like, oh my, this is fucking me up, dude. <sighs> so Greg is the best. Also, what I, I think about Greg, too, and that should, you know, I think if you don't know Greg, he is basically, I mean, he's he speaks music. It's That's his native language. Like, that's his first language, like a, You know, and then English is probably, like, his second language. Like, when you hear a Swedish person speak English so clearly, and then you try to speak Swedish, and you're like, what? That analogy isn't totally landing. But anyway, Greg, you know, so I used to make Chuck Norris jokes about Greg, like, in that vein, you know, like, you know 12 major scales. Greg knows 17. Sorry. You know, or... You go track your harmony vocals one vocal at a time, but Greg does them, just he just does them all at once. He could do all of his harmony vocals in one pass. Or here's one that I was trying to think of. I had it. I don't, I, I don't remember it being worked out, but it was something like, you know, Don't Stop Believing is in the key of E, and a lot of people lower it to different keys to accommodate them. But for Greg Mayo, when he sings that song, it's already in whatever key he wants it to be in. Yeah. Okay, that one's not the best one. We're working it out. We're working it out. Anyway, please, please enjoy this this hang with Greg. It's and if you're a little afraid of the length, I'm telling you, you got to hang in there. Greg is like, oh, speaking of this podcast, we're Greg and I many months ago, like in the springtime of the of the wedding world, we were hanging out, drinking one, watching one of the Chappelle specials that came out in the spring, and I mentioned to him, I was like, oh. I think I wanna do a podcast. You know, I'm really into these. And he's like, yeah, you should do that. You would be good at it. And then that was it, that was it. He, one person believing in your idea. And pff, thank you, Greg. Please enjoy, guys. He's the best. Secret, baby.
1: With Paul Madison.
0: <laughs> Greg Mayo. Say your name one more time. Just
1: My name you. is Greg Mayo. I was born Christmas Eve, 1983 and that's where my story begins. 1983, Greg
0: Mayo, I wrote down all the things that you do because you do basically everything. So, songwriter, singer, guitarist, piano player, bass player, drummer, trombone, composer, producer, arranger, engineer, copyist, transcriber, basically every component of the industry, educator, uh,
1: is there is there anything <laughs> I'm missing That you've done as a professional musician As, as long as you put like <laughs> Mediocre in front of all of those things <laughs> Then we're fine <laughs> Definitely not true Greg I think I
0: even asked you one time I was like Do you set a clock And you're like okay I'm going to do 10 minutes of drums Then I'm going to do 10 minutes of piano Like, How do you balance
1: all <laughs> of the stuff That you do For my whole life I've gone through And it's, it's funny it started with Musical instruments uh, when I was practicing in like middle school and high school, and then it went into like styles of music and uh, um, aspects of what I would hope be my career in music in college and then thereafter. I go through like these fits of like obsession with a thing, yeah, you know. And I've it's funny, it's weird, like as I get older, I learn more about like myself through like my family and how they react to things and how they act, like my brother and I. as as opposite as we were, we are actually very similar in some very core ways, right? I, like I would get home from school, like starting in middle school, I, like music became a thing for me. Like all of a sudden, I don't know what it was, I took lessons on piano in like kindergarten and I hated it. Dude. I remember if I like, I tell this story, I told my mom when I was a kid, like I would go to this woman's house in, in West Harrison and she had this little tiny house and an upright piano and I'd sit there and I'd practice, you know, your five finger scale things. And I'd come home and be like, Mom, you're wasting your money. I just want to play baseball. I don't want to play music. <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever. And she goes, okay, f- we'll t- stick it out this year. This was like kindergarten. Like, what am I going to do in kindergarten? I've taught kindergartens. I hate it. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. Um, so I told her, I was like, I just want to play baseball. So then come middle school, I kind of just found my way back to music on my own. Obviously, there's, mus- there's musical instruments all over the I house. Your house. All crazy yeah. like that. So I would just get home and I just was obsessed with like learning all there was to learn about stuff so I'd sit down and I'd play guitar for like two months, I'd come home from school and just play nothing but guitar for two months, you know, for example, and then I'd say, you know what, like, fuck, I haven't played piano in a while. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm going to like sit down at the piano for a while and fuck around with the piano. So I'd sit down at the piano for like two months. Two months, freaking but I, out. But I'd also have the guitar next to me. So like when I was first learning, if I knew a song on guitar, if I knew like what a G chord shape was or a G7 or something like that, I would then like pluck each note on the guitar and then pluck each note on the piano and say, oh fuck, that's the same chord. Oh, this is the same And fit. then go from there yes. and there. So like for a long time, that's kind of how the two pillars, the guitar and piano sort of like were built up in my in my learning right then in high school I realized we had a bass in the house and I was like oh shit I'm gonna play bass (laughs) so I just started like playing bass I was telling the story yesterday where like I would come home from school everything was come home from school take your headphones off because I brought the big CD player to school every day Mm -hmm. and whatever I was listening to that day all right I'm gonna play along to it tonight because I like got it familiar with it during the day or Mm -hmm. I've been listening to it for a week or whatever so like I was obsessed with Jamiroquai and Tower Power and all these dudes and I was like a really shitty bass player, but I was like, well, these guys are the best. Let me try and learn this shit. So I just for months would just play bass for a while and get blisters on my fingers and all that sort of stuff. And then when I realized that like the bass and the drums were so connected, that's when I was like, okay, well, I got to learn all these drum parts too. So there were times when I would try to like, okay, I played enough guitar today, played enough piano today. I'm going to play some drums for a little while, I'm going to play along to this record for a while, and then I'm going to go play the bass for... I would, like, sometimes it would be somewhat even, but more often than not it was like, I'm going to obsess about this today or this week or whatever, and somewhat neglect this other thing and then kind of come back to this and whatever else. But somehow they all kind of, like, worked their way for me. You know what I mean? It was kind of amazing. But then when I started to get, like, a better work ethic about myself, late in high school, into college, and then after college, I got more serious about, like, well, if someone calls me for a gig on this instrument, I better be good at playing it this week. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to practice that as much as I practice a this. You know? Consistent to Ex- certain things. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: So it happened all organically, and you think so from your kind of elementary years, it was music was a peripheral thing in your life. You were obviously going to Journey concerts and <laughs> yeah. Alan Oates concerts backstage, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So <clears throat> so it was always right there, but you weren't. The bug didn't bite you, yet, right? Percent. Right.
1: Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't pestering my parents at all. I wasn't like consciously crazy about it. Like, if you asked me what kind of music I listened to in elementary school, I would tell you I don't really listen to music. I would say I listen. To, I would listen to sports radio. Yeah. Because <laughs> like you know I wanted to be like my dad, and in the mornings his alarm clock was sports radio sixty six. You yeah, know, and at yeah. the time it was I miss in the morning, which wasn't a sports show anyway, but yeah, doesn't matter. I would listen to sports radio. You know, and that's what Dad had had on in the car. For some reason, he wasn't listening to music. He was just listening to Imus in the morning and Mike and the Mad Dog and these guys. Yeah. And that's what I got super into. But I didn't realize until later that like, oh no no, I am like fully immersed in music every day, all day, all day. And I don't even realize it. So like when I went back to a lot of these tunes that I ended up learning, quote unquote, for the first time in middle school, high school, college, I realized like, oh no no, no I've been listening to these songs my whole life. Mm. I already know these songs, kind of, you know? So, like, if I was learning a Stevie Wonder song, and I was like, somebody was like, oh, do you know this tune? I'm like, I'm not sure. He'd play it. I'd be like, oh, yeah, of course I know this song. I've heard this a million times. And so that's kind of how it how it happened. And, you know, a friend of mine and I, like, had this little band where it was two of us. He sang, and I played drums, and that was the whole band. There was no chordal <laughs> instruments whatsoever. And <laughs> what, you're, in what grade is this? This was, drum, like... like? fourth, fifth grade. We had the drum set set okay. up and I would just know how to play a straight rock beat and then start st- to play like this a your shuffle first rock band. beat. First band ever. Okay. I mean, there, was, there was no name. We just hung out once in a while and just did these stupid ass songs. He was kind of rapping in a way. Yeah. Talking in a sense and I was playing drums. So, but like you were saying earlier, I was around all these musicians. I was around all this music all the time. My dad obviously had a studio on the first floor of the house. So, I was completely submerged in all of it without even, like, realizing that it was a gift, right? It was just my life. And I didn't realize till afterwards, like, how much of a gift it really was and how much I was already in it. Mm. Probably more so than a lot of kids who would say that they were obsessed with it at the time. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah. So it's kind of interesting in that way. So I would go, when I was a little kid to when I was in probably a teenager, dad was playing with Hall & Oates almost exclusively. So if ever... I was going to a show. It was to Hall and Oates it was show. A Hall and Oates country, yeah. yeah, so like I got to know backstage at at um, Jones Beach like really, really well. Really, like, really, really well. Like yeah. I knew all the dressing rooms. I knew there was a basketball hoop in the you know in the main backstage area. Um, this really great wood paneling on the. It was just a like, really nice hang and really cool. Strong memories for you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's one really specific that like it was before I even realized that like I could be good at music that I realized like I want to. Be in front of crowds, kind of <laughs> Yes, of
0: course.
1: I was at a sound check with Dad at Jones Beach, and the whole band is, and they're the sweetest guys in the world and the best musicians ever. They're fucking unbelievable. all motherfuckers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, T-Bone Walk was playing bass. Um, Mikey Bigfoot Braun was playing drums. My dad. Charlie, DeCh- Charlie DeChant was playing sax and doing some keyboards. Like, was, these guys were and are incredible musicians. Daryl Hall, from my recollection, never showed up to a sound check. By the way. He just <laughs> he was just too cool for he that. He was too cool for yeah, school. Yeah, he's too yeah. cool for school. Yeah, of course. But John Oates, nicest guy in the world, and was there all the time and really cared and really did the work. So I'm sitting sitting on like a on a on a crate next to dad and his keyboard perch, you know, playing the thing, and they're they're rehearsing or they're sound checking, just getting the levels and they've they've been on tour for a year, so that's no big deal. This is dial. yeah, exactly. So Mikey Braun, the drummer had to like take a phone call or something. I guess his wife was on the phone in the dressing room or something. Of course, no cell phones yet, so he's gotta to go to like a landline. So he like steps away for a minute while they're checking something else and it's running to the end of soundtrack and everyone's saying, okay, well, let's uh, let's, let's play this the intro of this one tune, make sure everything's cool and then be out. Oh, where'd Mike go? And somebody's like, oh, he's, he, went to, uh, he went to take a phone call. And John Oates turns around and says, all right, does anybody play drums in his no. house? And my dad, of course, and I'm like this shy little kid. I'm around yeah. these, these titans of music. Yeah. And my dad is like, oh, yeah, my son plays. My, my son plays drums. He's badass. And I was like, Dad, no, 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 no. I don't want to play. He says, no, 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 come on, get up. And John was like, dude, Greg, you play You play drums? You've been holding out on us? Get up on the drum set. <laughs> come on, man. So it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This Jones Beach amphitheater, thousands of seats, empty seats, of course, but like huge sound system the whole thing is set up. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to play this dude's drums. I'm going to step into stadium rock exactly. right now. Yeah. So, John Oates says, Greg, do you know uh, do you know Out of Touch? And I was like, yeah. I play along to that shit every day. I know Out to of Touch. Yeah. yeah, I'm starting to get really excited. And he's like, all right, Greg, we'll count it off. Let's go. And of course, I count off the tune and we just play through it. And the intro ends with this like stop bah, bah, on one and, one end, I think. And we get up to that thing and everybody's grooving, everybody's doing the thing. And I do the stop and everyone's just likes it. it's like, yeah, man. It was awesome, and I'm like, "Oh my god, I did it! This is so cool! Holy shit!" So I like put the skits down, and just as that as that ends, Mike, Mikey Bigfoot starts walking back to the stage, and I'm like, "Oh shit! Oh shit! I'm playing his drums. I didn't ask him. He didn't know that. I was, oh, I'm, I'm in so much trouble. This is so shitty." Yeah. And I turn around, like red-faced, and he's like 30 feet away from me, and he looks at me, he's like, "Oh man, you got it, dude. Keep going. It's all good." And he like turns <laughs> around and goes back to the dressing and I'm like. All right, cool. I'm going to keep playing. So then we jammed out for a minute and I got to play with Hall of Notes. And this was like, I was like eight or nine years old. And I was you were like, a wee lad. I was like, I wanted, this is what I want to do. This okay, is fun. This is yeah. cool. I don't know how to play any instruments yet, but this is what I want to do. <laughs> do you know what, <laughs> what I mean?
0: <laughs> Craig, what an amazing story. Yeah, right? it
1: was cool. That was really rad. And
0: so that leads to what was your. When did you start, did you do like singer-songwriter guitar stuff? Or always kind of in bands, right? Always in bands. Always in I, bands. Never like,
1: I'm going to be a solo guy. I'm gonna... I Man, that... That never... It never really occurred to me. Like, I never... I mean, you know, like Paul Simon says, like, anyone who says r- lyric writing is easy is doing it wrong, right? Yeah. And I felt that way from the beginning. I'm like, I'm a terrible, like at writing lyrics well quickly that I think are honest and good and genuine and shit, right? So like for me, playing in bands was easier because I found that like you could lean on the band to do a lot of that stuff together or honestly, like I find that bands generally write less introspective tunes, you know what I mean? Course, They're more like yeah. fun tunes yeah. than they are like really singer songwriter quote-unquote, you know what I mean? Anyway, so for me, when I first started playing guitar, it was one, because of dad but more because of my brother, two and a half years older than me, and had- just shredded you, I bet. Was killing. Yes. Like, and this was, and like I said earlier, like he was obsessed in the same way that I was to a certain extent, where like, he would jump into something and just nail it for a while. But his ceiling was like, I mean, not to put him down, but like, was way lower than mine. Once he got frustrated with something, once once he hit a wall at all, he was like, I don't wanna do this anymore, and he would put it down. But there was a couple years where he was just burning at the guitar we like had blues dis- rock kind of yeah, yeah he yeah, was yeah. Uh, he was jimmy so hendrix chuck obsessed clapton zeppelin obsessed Ray. led zeppelin obsessed uh chuck berry obsessed all that stuff so he got to know every note these dudes played he was like very meticulous when it came to that and of course we were practicing and learning how to play on like the sickest guitars ever right we know ne- yeah. like Most and I'm so lucky and so blessed to have had that, but like most of my friends and like, oh man, I started with like the you know, the Japanese strat from, you know, nineteen ninety-seven that was the fucking, you know, Blink 182 model and I'm trying to play Clapton on it. Like, I had like a 64 Strat like all original just hanging out that was just Just there yeah
0: man taking that spaceship for a ride exactly and my brother had a Marshall
1: stack that he was playing through in the basement yeah so he'd like crank the stereo (laughs) dimed it yeah exactly so he was badass and I was like well and we were we weren't like the best friend brothers. We were like the best enemies brothers, right? We were still jocks at the core, dude, of course. Right. Yeah. So if he was doing something, I had to do it. You do better. it better. Yeah. So I got. I started to play and I started to learn, clap and stuff. And then one day, I remember asking my dad, like, because I just, I just wanted to play like guitar solos. That was the kind of stuff that would impress my friends at school. That was the kind of stuff that we were into. Well. Like, <laughs> that was just what it was. So I learned. Like, Clapton's Crossroads solo. And I was like, I played it every day, forever, because it felt so good to play it right every time. And then I learned a couple of Jimi Hendrix stuff. And then I asked Dad, I was like, Dad... Like, and he would never push me into anything. He never, like, he never like, told me what to do. He never gave me lessons, quote-unquote, unless I asked him a specific question. But I remember asking him, like, Dad, what do you... How do you become a good guitar player? <laughs> like, the most general <laughs> stupid-ass question. yes, yes. Yeah. 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 Um, what's the meaning of life? How do you become a good guitar yeah. player? <laughs> what is the sound? Yeah. 110. Exactly. Yeah. So he says, and I'll never forget it. He said, Greg, first thing you do is learn every note Chuck Berry ever played and then come back to me. I was like, All right. He's like, Got it. I'm on it. And I just went deep. I went so deep into the Chuck Berry thing. And just worked my so ass. You went back ass. in time from Crossroads. Exactly. You're going back to Chuck Berry. Now. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, at the same time, with all of those things, I'm also like listening to what my friends are listening to and getting into that music as well, which is Green Day, of, Nirvana, exactly. Pearl Jam. Right. My first album I ever bought was Dookie, and I like Dookie. was playing along to that shit with all my friends. And my cover band in middle school and high school, that's the kind of stuff we played. Yeah.
0: So and you were on the, guitar or drums or bass?
1: Uh, guitar and keyboards. In a Dookie cover band. Well, not just Dookie, okay, of yeah. course. But a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. Because also at the time was like Dave Matthews Band and all these Dave's other groups. just percolating exactly. fish. We right? do have to sleep on that one. Yeah. Oh, dude, no yeah. question about it. So I got into the Chuck thing and I got really obsessed. And then through that, I would like, my buddies and I were big into like stupid old comedy movies. So we watched Blues Brothers all the time. And I got into the Blues Brothers music and I said to Dad, I was like, Dad, these guys are awesome. What's the deal? And he goes, those guys are I mean, they're cool. They're a joke. They're cool. If you think that's good, listen to the original recordings that these guys are covering. And I was like, yeah. "Original recordings? What are you talking about?" <laughs> I didn't even know that these were. Didn't, I didn't even know really the existed. fuck anything. Yeah. Exactly. So then I got into Sam and Dave, and I got into Otis Redding, and I got into all these, you know, Buddy Guy and these dudes. And I was like, "Oh man, this is some swampy ass shit. This is cool." This is the real shit. So that's when it really started to rise up for me on the guitar, especially, right? And by this time, my brother had, like, sort of burnt out on guitar. He was like, all right, I'm done for a little while. Was
0: he also a baseball player?
1: Is it no, a baseball he, house, or was he another well, sport? My dad was baseball obsessed as well. That's kind of how I got into that, right? Yeah. Through sports radio and shit. My brother was... He was just kind of, like, whatever his friends were into. So, he played football for a couple of years, played yeah. basketball for a little while. He was a tall kid. Um, but after a while, the bummer with him was, like, he got into some bad situations. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Come high school, he was, like... Drinking a lot more than he than he should have. He was smoking weed. He, was, he was raging. Stars. He was, Exactly. He was the high school was kid. Going you know? into a different direction. But yeah. he, he was kind of like a little, I don't want to say socially awkward, because he wasn't at all, but he thought he was. It was mm-hmm. one of those things. He was like not self-confident in any way. So all of his friends at school, he was like a lot of people called him like the most popular guy in school. Friends with everybody, really cool, hung out all the time, did his thing, but he never felt comfortable in the situations. Mm. So, to be like, to overcompensate, he like went in with anything that anybody was doing. Went all in. All in. Was the guy. So it was that kind of thing. Um, So music became kind of your thing. Exactly. And that, I mean, looking back, that was probably a sore spot for him because I, you know, in a sense, eclipsed him on the music thing. And after a while, like, then this is years, years later, he like would, would mature enough to like, we would play a little bit together and he would actually like ask me how I played something or what the theory behind something was. And I would start to explain it to him but then, of course, I'd see his eyes glaze over and be like, "I, you know, I don't want to do this." He anymore. doesn't, he doesn't yeah. like theory. He yeah, just did was, wasn't feeling that shit, right? The emotional component, of, of course, music, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was funny because, like, that's one of the things that he was always rag on me for. And he's like, "You're not feeling it, man. You're not feeling it." And I'm like, yeah. "I am, though. I think. I don't know. I think <laughs> like, so." What does that mean? To <laughs> me, I know what that means. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I haven't dropped the acid and played. If that's what you're asking me, but <laughs> yes. I think I'm feeling I'm it feeling in my it own emotion. Way, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So whatever. Anyway. So oh, he important. he became like a play for fun guy. He liked campfire type of thing, but was like better than a lot of campfire guys. Well, yeah, I'm sure. But that was kind of what he got relegated to. He'd like, his friends were smoking weed and they'd be like, oh man, can you play Waste? And he'd be like, yeah, I got, yeah, you. I got Waste. You yeah, know? yeah. You know I mean, it was that kind of thing.
0: Um, so when you started going back and checking out those records, just not to finish. Not no, no to of course, of course. Divert the story, because I think that was interesting. Were you literally checking out the acetate, like the actual records?
1: Oh, Yeah. Most right, definitely, because
0: you, have seen your father's record collection. Oh yeah, it's what? It's
1: oh, it's a at, thousand at records. At its, oh no, at its peak, it was eight or nine thousand records at least. It's a Greg's yeah. basement has
0: shelves upon shelves of. I mean, he must have been a rabid collector, coming home with no question ten records.
1: Yeah, you know, oh, from every right? like, cause, from every road trip, like, and and as I go through it. As I learn more about records and, and imports and things like that, I like start to see like there's Japanese pressings that weren't imports to America. Like he bought them in Japan and had like f- like put them in the road case and brought them home and brought them home. You, you know say. shit like that. Yeah, you know what I mean, and also like over the years, friends of his would give him records because they were consolidating their collections or whatever. So like it just got enormous. So like in like his giant entire wall was filled with records, and he always had a great sound system, obviously. Yeah. So and he he was a like border, maybe not borderline, but he was a genius and like had a memory like a steel trap. Remembered exactly where every record was and what track was on each one and what the track listing was, what the order was, what the um, personnel was, the whole thing. So one of those guys, yeah. Yes. And not only about records, but Which about you're books. you pretty close to my friend. Uh, whatever, Come on, whatever. Yeah. Um, if like if I'm good at anything, it's because of him, but. If I say that I'm not, it's because he was always way better, I think is the bottom line. (laughs) But anyway, um, he, uh, so you know, he would just say, oh man, you gotta check out Sam and Dave, live at the whatever. Track three is the recording that the Blues Brothers were coming off of when they were trying to cover this tune and the tempo is the same. And if you notice, the personnel's all the same and a lot of those guys, I was like, oh shit, where is it? And he goes, oh man, it's the third shelf from the left and you go to the second line and then whatever, pull (laughs) it out. Put it on, <laughs> and like he, the great, obviously he had a great record playing a great system, stereo system with the guitars and everything all around. So I would just drop the needle and just hang and play. There was, yeah, yeah,
0: always yeah. playing along with the records. Always would he practice always. like that too?
1: Like he would, he would practice like that and then go two or three steps further with records he really loved. And my mom got really annoyed at this for after a while. Was he would to practice his playing and also his engineering and recording abilities, he would then recreate the record all by himself in the studio. So he had this great... This is know, just
0: on downtime of a Hall Notes tour. He exactly. He would be like...
1: Exactly. So like I have... Master craftsman. Right. Yeah. I have like a half-inch tape, uh, uh, like reel-to-reel tape of like... You know, I've, I was looking through... Actually, I was looking through it only a couple months ago. I have like, like him doing note-for-note higher ground and superstition on one side of this, on this tape. And it's... That's so amazing. It's, like, fucking on point. Yeah. Like, he... he He's doing Stevie. Yeah. He was doing his own Stevie thing. Exactly. And so of so recreate that totally. as a whole art Totally, yeah. So mom, of course, she tells me later in life that, like, she'd be get she super annoyed. Because she would say, like... Like, not because, like, she was annoyed with the music, because she loved music and still does as much as anybody. Mm-hmm. But her thing was always, like, why don't... Why not do your music? Well, you're fucking... Like you're amazing. Your tunes, and all yeah. these things are amazing. This is great practice for you, but you could practice just as much, but also get a lot more out of it if you try to write something, even in the style of, or write something yourself, or go into your own thing. And that was something, not to get off topic, but that was something that he, I think, got into way too late in his life. Mm. Was trying to write and trying to like work on his own material. And try to, like, if not to, like, release it for himself, for, for cathartic purposes or whatever, but to release it and to maybe get it placed. Because he had a ton of contacts in his day. Obviously, he knew yeah, everybody. He knew everybody. So, we got a couple of things later on in his life, but, like, he was too immersed in the sideman thing that, like, he couldn't dedicate enough time and energy to it to, like, make it blossom. Yeah. Of thing. But, um, but anyway, so, yeah. So, <clears throat> it was records all over the house. And then, of course, because I had to have it with me always, I would buy the CD version of it. Put it in my backpack when I went to school or on, you know, road trips or whatever. And just yeah. have my headphones and just have my CD player with me. You dialing it in. 100%. And still to this day, I see Greg running around the neighborhood. I see you running. I'm
0: like, Greg, and you're just, you're in your <laughs> <Yeah>. zone. <laughs> and you're you're listening to tracks. Yeah, still, always. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Complete records. Oh, yeah. I go, I, yeah. Every once in a while, I have to shuffle just because just cause there's too much going on. And I can't concentrate or something. But most of the time, I, I'm still, even if... 99% of the public doesn't listen to music this way anymore. I try to cuz I know that when I'm making a record, I take consideration into that. Yeah. Into the order of things and how one track flows to another and how the story of a record goes. So, I try to give the artist that that um, that attention if I can, mm-hmm. you know, when I can. Um, I do remember though there was that long period of time when and I guess we're back to that, but you don't even have to release an album to get a single out there anymore. But like <clears throat> there was like the nineties into the two thousands where you'd have one or two singles and a bunch of filler. A bunch of crap so on the album. Yeah. That like ruined it for me, because I'm like buying a whole album and I listen to the tune, I'm like, Oh, this is a great tune, and then listen to the rest of the record, and I'm like, Yeah, they just phoning that shit in just to yeah. get the single out there. So that kind of ruined the whole Or the single didn't I, sound like any, any of the else other the tracks record, that right? was, was a it? big was thing like of Sugar Ray we're like this is
0: like a punk rock right. band and they had one oh my god pop song. right yeah.
1: well cuz also too like they would pay the super hot producer of the day the ton of money to make the one song and then they'd get the bullshit producer the young guy or whatever the hell to make the, the rest of the it, yeah, yeah exactly and nobody cared you know what I mean so that ended up happening after a while too but you know especially with the older records obviously i'm just trying to like get the whole picture cuz it's classic for a reason you yeah. know what i mean and these guys were Amazing, I'm better than anybody. So, Greg, a story that you told me
0: once about your father. Because I've, I've, you know, asked you numerous times. I'm fascinated with this. Mm-hmm. But you were talking about how didn't your father <clears throat> have an accident or something, and something happened to his hands. So yeah. every day you would hear him doing the hand in exercises, oh, yeah. right? Oh yeah, which if there is no better teacher to music, it's like the consistency, right? Like if you do this every day. Eventually it will come together, right? And so you didn't, you didn't need this because you heard it every day. That's exactly right. So refresh this story. I remember telling the story and then being like, (coughs) "This super pro guy is still doing (coughs) hand and exercise." Oh yeah, that's
1: book one, phase one. You know it, four year old stuff. Exactly, exactly. So my dad was one of these like you know, child prodigy type guys, right? He started playing piano when he was like four or five years old. His parents would take him to the classical lesson guy who lived on top of the record store and, you know, had lessons in his house. And dad was doing these, like, recitals at a really young age, doing these complex classical pieces. And, you know, when he became a teenager and he was still taking these lessons, when he would go downstairs to wait for someone to pick him up or to walk back home, the record store was there. And, of course, he got obsessed with you know blues and and rock and soul and jazz and all that type of stuff got into Ray Charles, got into Stevie Winwood, got into all this other sort of stuff. So, he started playing in bands at a young age. And, you know, he played proms, he played his own prom. He like didn't go to his prom, he played his prom. <laughs> so, he's he was under- a hustler from the start, of course. Yeah. And he's playing these bars and at the time and he, obviously today too, but like he was only 18 years old, 19 years old, and he wasn't allowed in the bar. Or no, I guess back, back then you were allowed in the bar. You were even allowed to drink. He to was the bar. 17 or 16 even still. So oh, his dad. mid
0: 70s? No, this Early is uh, late
1: 60s. Late this 60s. Is still late 60s. Okay. He, um, So he. Uh, um, so my grandpa had to go with him to the show. He had to like vouch for him and sit side stage while Dad would play these like late night shows. And I know, my grandpa had a job too. Yeah, he was. Just like, just, he would just be like, "Well, my son wants to do this. I'm going to support him." He's a yeah. wonderful guy. Anyway, so Dad had a girlfriend at the time, and he was he was the kind of kid who would go to school in the morning, do his homework after school, pack up the car, go to the gig, play the gig until two three a.m., go back home, sleep for a couple hours, and then go back to school and do it all over again. So he was just killing himself basically yes to play these gigs and to make this work and my grandpa was happy to help him do that so they drove separate cars though because dad could pack up after you know the car was closed and grandpa had to go home so dad's packing up white night his girlfriend's with him it's like 2-3 in the morning he's driving her home on one of these back rows and he falls asleep at the wheel Mm -hmm. and crashes into like a tree and she was asleep at the time and she gets away with some like cuts and bruises and stuff and dad breaks his arm in like a couple of places his right arm yeah oh my god so he break he has a compound fracture in his forearm like the bone is sort of showing and if there was a scar to the day he died right there but then also a couple of his knuckles like the main knuckles on his arm on his hand would like were smashed beyond you know recognition Mm. so anyway so he gets put in these couple of big casts and obviously he's sidelined for a while and uh the doctor says, "Hey, well, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but like your right hand is completely smashed. Like the muscles and the ligaments and the bones. Like we can try to reset some of them, but like it's not really going to work the way it used to. Like you're never going to have the dexterity in your right hand that you that you used to. Mm-hmm. So, in a, in a, in effect, you're not going to be able to play piano again.
0: Tough yeah. news for mm-hmm. he's
1: 17, 18, he's, yeah, he's, 19, like 17 and a half, something like and that. And a half. Yeah. yeah, it may be 18. I can't remember. Anyway, so he." Uh, So he's like, well shit, that really puts a damper on my plans. Yeah, that's
0: uh Yeah.
1: Yeah. So he gets out of the hospital and he gets I guess he gets the cast off and he says, Well, you know what? My right hand doesn't really work, but I can still I guess I can still hold a pick with my right hand, because my forefinger and my thumb still work. But my left hand is fine. I'm gonna learn how to play guitar. Much of my friends play guitar, and that's what a lot of people want to hear anyway. I'm gonna play guitar. So at like at 18 years old, (laughs) he picks up the guitar and starts to learn how to play. All the while, like you were talking about a second ago, he has these hand-in books, which are like, for people who don't know, they're really just the exercises. They're the most rudimentary, boring exercises for hand strength and dexterity. Really, mm-hmm. that's the whole point of them. And he would just play them every day, every, like, you know, for hours and hours and hours at a time just to build up the hand strength in his right and especially, you know, still his left, but his right hand especially back especially. up. But all the while learning how to play guitar, so like his days were split between the two, and then still going to school, and then going to college, and still like trying to have a social life and trying to live and shit. Anyway, fast forward like two years, he is now leading bands on guitar, like oh, he's singing too, right? Oh, he's this singing his is ass, ass part off. Of yeah, the yeah Mayo sorry. Tradition, you sorry. guys all sing. Yeah, right? he's yeah. Sang, he he's sang his fucking ass off. Yeah. He had one of the greatest rock voices. Yeah, no question. Yeah. So. By age 21, he's leading bands on guitar, like solos and the whole thing, like having picked up the guitar only three years ago, he's Mm. leading groups on guitar, and by the way, has worked up the flexibility and the dexterity in his right hand to be able to play piano again fully like he never left.
0: So he essentially performed physical therapy on himself.
1: Exactly. He said, I'm going to do this, right? He said, I'm going to do this like... Uh, yes, I understand what the doctor said, but they can be wrong, mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. fuck it, I'm going to try this, I'm going to do this. So these Hannon exercises brought his hand completely back to life, and he played as good as ever, if not better than ever, clearly, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, throughout the rest of his life, when I, I remember, and now fast forward another 15 years or so, when I'm a little kid, 20 years, when I'm a little kid, downstairs in the house, like I said, was was dad's workspace, he had you know, a couple pianos down there, and every morning... Listening to Sports Radio 66 with a cigarette on the piano, (laughs) he would just be doing these exercises. Still, for like an hour a day, every single day before he went on to anything else. Religiously, just doing this thing. And I remember when I was a kid, I would go down there and just to like mess with him, like my hands were small enough. I'd like put my hand on top of his hand and pretend that I was the guy who was playing them. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I saw the book open even at that age. And it always like stuck with me. I was like, oh, that's I guess that's a thing you have to do. You have to do that that's to kind of, be right. at this level. Yeah, yeah. It's part of the discipline. That's what you have to do to think. So when I got into when I got like more and more serious about the piano, that's kind of like what I started to get into as well. So I did that. Of course I like would slack off a little bit here and there. I'd do them for a half hour, or 45 minutes when I when I could or when I had to, but like the the hardest part was getting my students into that. And I'd even tell that story and they'd be like, oh that's really cool. And of course, and then they never do it. Well, exactly. yeah, that's but that's a whole other story. <laughs> but my dad even had a practice a weighted. It wasn't even a practice piano, but practice weighted keys inside of this little keyboard case mm-hmm. that he would take with him on every tour. Because you know, when you're in a hotel room, you don't have access don't have to have the eighteen wheeler, right? So he would have this practice keyboard that was like three. No, it was like five octaves or something, and you could set the weight of each key. To like heavier or, or softer, right? And he would practice. And th- they wouldn't make any notes. They wouldn't make any sound. But obviously, you know where your hands are if you play piano. And he would just do the exercises in his hotel room or in his dressing room or whatever. And that was his warm-up and his practice. When he couldn't do it in front of a real piano, that's how he would do it there. And he'd lug this weird weighted keyboard key thing. So, he's so committed to everyone. making exactly. sure. Yeah. That's a that's an inspiring
0: story. It's I mean, I don't... It. Yeah. Do you think... Did he ever, you know... Just... This is a very specific question I guess At that time period Did he ever have Like aspirations of Checking out jazz Becoming a jazz guy Or did he always know That he wanted to be a rock God Like he obviously (coughs) Clearly is And was from that I'm just You know cause No no of course Did he He was Did this maybe prevent him From becoming Chick Corea Or that was just Never his thing Or it was always based on As far as I know
1: Yeah As far as I know It was never It was never in him To like play it out you know, he practiced it and learned it and knew how valuable it was to his ears and to his playing and everything else. He clearly and, exposed you to Kind of Blue or... Obviously, right. Love Supreme or whatever. Totally, yeah. totally. But I just... I don't, I don't remember him to be a guy who would seek out jazz gigs or play or, like, do trio-types gigs, things like that. Yeah. I think because of him being so immersed and there's only 24 hours in every day in the other world, and it paid the bills, and by the time he, like got his handle on things. He was already committed to this thing. I'm sure just he was happy enough just playing, not just playing, you know, but playing rock and roll and yeah, soul I mean, and R&B and things like that, you know.
0: Just wondering, because it's like that era, The when you, now it's like we look back at those musicians, especially someone like your father or whomever, all of the top tier working pro guys, maybe someone like Stevie Gabb, they all kind of played everything. Yeah. There was not this clearly defined genre thing. Or sure, re- sure. It's so easy to pigeonhole people. Like, oh, Greg does blues guitar, so he's gonna. We'll give him this blues guitar gig. You know, like, right. like I can't stand that one. I, I understand people, but it's like no, Greg can. Greg could play uh, a couple <laughs> other things, man. I, I think he. You know, and sure, like very clearly, sure. you have demonstrated that. But you know, like maybe that just didn't exist.
1: Well. I don't know if it, I mean all this pigeonholing kind of thing. Well, right. I mean, you got to think like in that era when Dad was do it like on his I would say on his way up, but he was kind of on top with the with the Frampton thing, right? Talk mid seventies, late seventies. This is this is the time of of Steely Dan. This is the time of George CBS. Benson. This is the time of time of a lot of that type of stuff. A ton of crossover information and a lot of that sort of stuff. So, but the funny thing was like you have guys like you're saying like dad and people like that do, do everything who do I'm everything sure your father could you and know. employ that in all the records that they were playing on as mm-hmm. well right dad was very capable of that kind of stuff but he was in a slightly different scene right than the guys who were doing that like the LA session guys and the New York session guys were the guys who would get called cuz well, I guess it was kind of pigeonholing because they were the guys who would get called for any steely dan type of thing or yacht rock type of thing yeah that had complex harmonies, but also was pop setting and that type of thing. But Dad, at the time, was a le- like 10, 11 months on the road with one guy. With right? Peter. Exactly. Specifically. Totally. So
0: that, was that his big kind of gig, it yes. was just
1: kind of like... That poof. was the first blow-up thing, yeah. So we had like a couple of like... Middling bands like the first band he was like really really in that had a record deal They went out to Europe, they went out to London to make the record on the small label They happened to be making a record across the hall from Peter and dad met Peter at the studio Now that band that dad was in the label went bankrupt They toured for a little while on their own, but kind of just, you know, petered out. Then Dad was playing local gigs in New York, in Westchester, just with friends and pickup gigs. He was in a band called Rat Race Choir, which was like the giant, huge cover band in Westchester at the time. And apparently they still play. Yeah. Yeah. It was badass. They started like, they used to do Zeppelin and Bad Company and, you know, just all these big heavy rock things. And Dad was playing guitar and keyboards and singing in that band. Just a party band. But Yeah. yeah, they were playing like big, big rooms. Like the rooms that DJs would play now in New York like Webster Hall places Bowrie, like that right you would Terminal 5 right Christmas, you would yeah. book Rat Race Choir and they would be your band for the night and they yeah. would be playing all the cover songs of the day and they would kick ass and you mm-hmm. would come and go well out you know so anyway so dad was playing these local gigs and Peter had gone solo already and had a couple of records and Peter found himself in Westchester and looked dad up found him at like a random like like holiday inn type of gig and Peter said hey man I'm putting together a new band for this next tour we're promoting my next record. Wanna see if you want to be involved. I love your playing and you know, I've I've wanted to look you up for a while. And Dad said, Yeah, sure, man, I'm down. <laughs> sure, man. Yeah, I'm down. All right, cool. So a couple weeks later, Dad walks into rehearsal, having learned Peter's entire catalog, and he walks in to the Frampton Comes Alive band. And that's <laughs>
0: that's that that's, story. That's how it went. And, and then there,
1: well, so that must be yeah, like you said, that was three to five years of his life. So that so that
0: that tour what was that that was seventy seven that record came out?
1: Seventy six. Seventy six so they recorded it in seventy four. In front of like smaller amphitheaters, two to two to four thousand seat rooms, uh, sometimes even less than that, and they went back and did their homework and listened to back to all the tapes and everything else, mixed it together, probably did some overdubs, and then it came out in '76, and that's when all hell broke loose. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> this is of course. So '74 to about '79 or '80 was when Dad was Frampton's guy, right? Bob Mayo and the keyboards became yeah. like the tagline. Well, you know yeah. I mean? So that was the thing. So they went from playing these like smaller-ish, because Peter was in Humble Pie that did really well, and they were playing bigger rooms. And then Frampton, his solo records weren't doing much. They had some decent songs, but they were recorded kind Beautiful of... songs, really, Yeah, right? But they were recorded kind of limp They didn't mm. have like an energy to them. They never rock element to them. And a lot of people credit my dad with bringing that... To the, to the live show. ass-kicking yeah. energy, yeah. Yeah, even though there wasn't like an MD, quote-unquote, in the band, everybody says Come on. that yeah. dad was the MD of that band. Yeah. And he brought that thing to the thing and he was one of the guys who went through all the tapes afterwards. He was the right-hand man in the studio while they were editing and mixing and doing all that stuff of the record. Came out in 76, went crazy. They started playing stadiums and doing these giant, giant things and then that era... Similar to, like, 91 with Nirvana, you know, 79, 80 with Hairbands and stuff. Yep. That 70s rock thing ended like that. Ended like that. Yeah. So Peter sort of, like, you know, goes off and chills for a while. Of course, he's got more money than anybody, so he's fine to hang for a while. In the interim of when they weren't working together, my dad and Peter, Peter went off and played lead guitar for David Bowie for a little while, and he was still making records on his own, but they weren't doing as much. Dad went off and played with Aerosmith... He went to play with Jackson Brown for a little while, he went with uh, Robert Plant for a while, then with Foreigner for a couple years, and then met up with Hall & Oates. And then Hall & Oates took him for 10 or 15 years, and that was by far his favorite band to to ever play in. I can imagine, Of course. And then Peter was starting to gain some steam again in the 90s, and Dad linked up with Peter again, and then played with him until literally the day he died. Literally? Literally.
0: This is a fascinating
1: story. It's fucking nutty, man, yeah. And there's some oh, funny right. stories in dad. I need to get to you, but oh, it's all, it's all good. good. This is. I mean, I'm always happy to. You know me. I'm tired to talk about dad anytime. Yeah. You know, it's... there's some funny stories with dad and um, Robert Plant. There's some funny stories with dad and Steven Tyler. There's some funny stories with dad and Mick Jones, a foreigner. It's like some weird shit.
0: He was I mean. just known as the ace in the whole guy. Everybody's yeah, exactly. Like, we need yeah. this. We need these three things, and there's one guy who can do it. Right. That's
1: exactly right. <laughs> Vogels, keys, guitar. Right. Just
0: the. The utility man,
1: yeah, totally right. right. And like, the funny thing is, as and not to mention, like consummate professional, obviously, and coolest guy in the world to work with, and kind of became with any band that he was in, became kind of like the union rep of the group mm-hmm. to the leader or the the crew to the band or whatever. He was just cool with everybody. He was that yeah. kind of guy. Brought the energy, and sometimes that became a problem um, for the artist or for the band or whatever. There was one time apparently that. Um, dad was playing with Foreigner, and not only was, of course, like you said, keyboards, guitar, vocals, but organ was its own beast and still is its own beast. Its own animal, And yeah. that kind of thing. So he was brilliant at all of those things and really knew the inner workings of everything and was up on the technology because that shit was changing a ton at the time too. Mm-hmm. So there was one of these synthesizers that had these little cards that had the presets in them, right? Mm-hmm. So if you saved a setting, you saved it on this little like floppy disk type of card. To take one out, put the next one in, and for it to load the sound onto the keyboard took eight seconds. That's that was just the stand. That That's was no. Just, that was just what it was. Yeah. So Mick Jones, everybody's cooked out of their minds at the time. By the way, this is the early '80s. Yeah, obviously, right? Mick Jones, kind of a dick. Special at period the time. Origin. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I only heard this story a couple months ago. This is why it's fun for me to tell this one because yeah. I tell other ones a lot. Um, <clears throat> Mick Jones is he wants to go from one song into the other like really, really quick. He wants to make it like a medley. And dad would say, hey. is you that know what everybody wants? Of course. Right? Listen. And dad said like, I'm sorry, but that's impossible. If you want me to start off the song, if you want me to play the downbeat, you have to wait eight seconds. And Mick's like, no, that's too long. Can't do that. And I'm like that. And dad says, I'm sorry. That's what it's going to take. That's where we're at. Yeah. I got to pull like that. The modern technology. You know what I mean? It's like you don't make Avatar for 20 years because the technology doesn't exist yet. <laughs> yeah. You don't do this set list. Because you need to technology. come up with some stage banter, dude. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so, so anyway, so he pulls the card out, puts it in eight seconds later, can play it. And dad says, unless you're going to buy another keyboard or another preset slot. Then that can happen because I can change one out while the other song is still being played and then kind of mix them up, you know, that kind of way. Mm. And Mick says, no, that's not a possibility. So we're going to get this. You're going to get it within, you know, three seconds. Dad's like, it's not me. <laughs> it's modern technology, you <laughs> fucking idiot. Come here and watch this, dude. You, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, so they get really angry and they come, they like get like physical with each other. So dad apparently punches Mick Jones. <laughs> In the face. And he says, Well, fuck you. I'm quit. I quit. I, quit. I can't handle this shit anymore. And of course, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back, clearly. But yeah, yeah. that was one of the things. So, anyway, so dad walks out. And this is right at the beginning of this big tour, enormous tour. Um, it's crazy. So he goes home and he says, Well, fuck it. I don't need this gig. I don't need any gig. Fuck this guy. You yeah, know what whatever. I mean? So apparently, because dad's friend Mark Rivera was playing sax on the gig as well. Wow. And they were buddies forever and they're, you know, whatever, till the day he died. They were best friends. Mark is like dad's guy in the inside and he's telling him what's going on since he left. Apparently they brought in 40 other guys to audition to take dad's spot in the band to play keyboards, guitar, piano, organ, background vocals, the whole thing. Nobody can do it. These Nobody guys are it. all super pros. These are guys top of the line. This is Super corner. pros, yeah. yeah. Nobody could do it. And dad knew this. Yeah. Of course, because he cornered the Mark. because yeah, Mark was telling him. So, of course, with his tail between his legs, Mick Jones calls Dad, like a week later. Says, hey, Bob, listen, uh, I got a little heated. I know, you know, we had our troubles or whatever, but we would love for you to, if you're okay, would still love to do this for, tour with us and to continue playing with us. And Dad, like this is a voicemail that Dad heard of, you know, answering machine thing. And his friend is, the friend who told me the story it was in, in the house with him at the time. And Dad was like, I don't really know if I want to do this. This guy's a fucking asshole. I am have to deal with this guy for a year. Yeah. The guy was, and his dad's, my dad's friend was like, tell him you'll come back for double. And dad was like, yeah.
0: Well, maybe I could do it for a
1: year if I, it's twice as much bread. I guess, yeah. you know, and he was already getting, obviously, pretty good bread. So he calls he calls the tour back, he calls the people back, and he's like, all right, um, I'll consider coming back, but, I, you know, as I'm looking at my numbers and I got a couple more offers, he made some shit up, whatever, got yeah. some other offers in the pike, so I'll come back for, for double what you were paying me per week. And they were like, because there was literally no there one else. There was
0: literally no one else there. It's crunch time. This is, thing's probably exactly.
1: taken off yeah, in three yeah. days. or like, so they were like, okay, yeah, sure, you got it. So dad rejoins the band for double pay after punching fucking Mick Jones in the head. <laughs> <laughs> it's the greatest. <laughs> fucking unreal. That's a great Sorry. story. Yeah, it's awesome. That's wow.
0: Sad. Yeah, he's <gasps> a beast. Anyway, what a beast. I mean, get yeah, this sto- <sighs> There's probably like 50 more There's, stories yeah. like this. You yeah. know, it's we'll very, do
1: we'll do an extended someday. We'll yeah, they there
0: I. I mean, well, I guess moving forward, you know, I think, you, Greg, you've been a big inspiration to me. You had to deal with so much tragedy, right? Losing mm-hmm. your father <laughs> and your brother and carrying on through all of this. This, I, where does that lead you? I mean, now, did that just push you into music even deeper than you already were? You were obsessed and then it just like, you were in... Head over heels, or well, did music start to? <clears throat> you're feeling it became healed, this <laughs> yeah. healing thing, right? Like did it?
1: Yeah, it, or it's it's very interesting. They happened at such an important time in your life. Right? Exactly, you're a they, seventeen year old man. They happened at pivotal times, right? I yeah. was I was a sophomore in college at Purchase. My first, my second semester at Purchase was when Dad passed away. Mm. I was twenty. Just turned 20. 20, okay. Yeah. And like I said earlier, I was already like beeline to music. I was like, I'm in this. I, you know, took the SATs only because that's what everybody else did. I didn't, you know, I didn't give a shit about that stuff. I applied to three schools, they were all music schools. I got into all three of them. I picked the one and I actually ended up transferring after a year anyway, but whatever. I knew that that's what I was doing. But I did it knowing full well that like my dad was my lifeline anytime mm-hmm. i wanted or needed right cuz as i got more interested our for me our conversations got more interesting obviously yeah they're always fascinating but like you know if he would call me from the hotel room or i would talk to him whenever and at this point we now have cell phones and stuff so we could call me whenever but like we would talk about records and talk about music. And I would ask him like, dad, what's the voicing on this random Stevie Wonder tune? You know, what are the three chords that happen at the end of the bridge? And be like, oh, it's this, this, and this. And I was like, all right, I'll call you back in a half hour. And then I practiced and I played for him over the phone and be like, oh yeah, that's it. You got it, it. you know, that kind of shit. So I was like all into it. And obviously I knew, even though I wasn't ready yet, I knew he had all these contacts into the music world, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Knew everybody everywhere. So. I was getting super into it and started playing in bands and started working making records. I in mean, my first record my freshman year of college and dad actually under played on that name. record. Yes, That's right, right, under my own name. Um, and dad actually played on it, which was one of the most thrilling weekends of my life that he came to my college, slept in my dorm room with me. <laughs> and then we went to the studio on campus and he played his ass off and like, the seniors that I was making the record with, they were producing it. I was the artist. They were geeking out because it's Bob Mayo like, in the room and he's playing on this Bob thing. on your record. Too. So it's it was crazy thing. And then he goes on tour. And looking back, there were there were um, there were signs of what was happening physically with mm. him. You know. He obviously, you know, like I said, he didn't treat himself super well through that era of his life, through the 80s and even into the 90s. He was. Which is part of the scene. Exactly. Yeah. Weren't educated even to the point. Right. And he was, you know, not to be super polite about it, he was an alcoholic and he smoked cigarettes to the day he died and he just didn't treat himself super well. And after a while, he started to realize what it was and started to go to doctors. Even though he didn't have health insurance, he went to doctors and started to figure it out. And they said, well, listen, you got some health, you got some heart issues. Mm hmm. Um, we don't think you should put stress on it, we don't think you should go on tour, we think you should stay home, and we should consider operating or consider doing something. And he would say, well, I gotta pay you somehow, I gotta go on the road, that's how I make my money, you know. So he we went on tour, I remember picking up picking him up at the airport one time, and he actually had like a, and I didn't realize what it was at the time, because I was an idiot, I guess, but like he had a minor heart attack in the car next to me. Mm. And he and apparently this was a normal thing because he treated it like it was nothing. And I was like, he would be like clenching himself and he's sweating and he's red in the face. And he's like, Dad, can I What's take wrong? you to the we, hospital? We can we do, do? something? Yeah. And he's like, No, 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 it'll pass. It's fine. It's fine. He's like, uh, 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 you know, that kind of thing. So he's too cool for his own good. exactly. He's a tough exactly.
0: guy. Totally. Which men from that generation?
1: Exactly. You're like. We all need help, yeah, right. Come know. on, man, you're not a doctor, yeah. You, need, you know, <laughs> they're experts in this, can't just clench through a heart yeah, attack, right. you know what I mean? Exactly. Um, so anyway, so that that time that that happened, we spent a couple days together in New York while he was doing promo with Frampton for I Love the 70s on VH1, if you remember that. Yes, I do. Dropped him off at the airport again, and that was the last time I saw him because he and Peter went on tour in Europe shortly thereafter. And he died on tour in Switzerland. He died like on a train platform. Just had a heart attack there and was out. Now, that like I said, this is sophomore year of college. I'm in Purchase. At SUNY Purchase. I'm living at home. Because you had transferred, yep. Yeah. Transferred from the Hart School of Music to Purchase that year to study production and recording and stuff like that. And to spend more time at the studio that I had at home and at play gigs in New York <laughs> and try to get that stuff going. So it was, it was enormously impactful for me. Just because you know he he was like I said going to be my lifeline for another 30 years Yeah. and we were going to play gigs together and we were going to maybe tour together or share shows or whatever like I still think about that today like imagine doing a late night show at Rockwood and like hey dad why don't you come down and jam with me come hang out and he would fucking wail and it'd be awesome I think about that all the time you know Um, so it's like you know there's never the right time to lose a parent but like that was the worst time to lose my father you know Mm -hmm. So, he passed away, and it was the best thing that I had transferred to, because then I was home for some family, I was home for my brother and my mom and me, and of course, right. And my brother was getting, in a sense, from bad to worse even then. Mm -hmm. This was um, 2004, and uh, like I said before, he was already into some bad stuff. He was hanging out with some bad people, he was smoking and doing other things, and just not treating himself just went all pretty that far well. in yeah, that world exactly yeah. and he and dad were very similar in that way they became obsessed with certain things and they had the same social issues and probably had some similar like imbalance like some slate imbalances that were brought on further by other things exacerbated so- <laughs> by
0: slamming yourself with chemicals yeah, yeah. you know
1: you know that's kind of thing so my brother always had this sort of a mentality that life was pushing him into a corner mm-hmm. right he didn't really feel college all that much. He did it for a semester, wasn't into it. Had a couple of, had a bunch of random stupid jobs, but like would lose them for his own stupid reasons. You know, super hungover, didn't show up, or would be super late or would just be bad at it or whatever. You maturity, know maturity, yeah. Exactly. We've all, I've been there. We've been there yeah. and we've all, of course. So he uh, so he gets married after knowing this woman for like a month and this whole thing and they move in together they foreclose on the house that they were living in so they rent a house in his it's a whole long ridiculous story but he and my mom were not doing well with each other okay. so she loved him obviously loved him to death and would try to do everything she could for him he would sneak into the house when he and his wife would have a fight and he would sleep in his old bedroom and she'd mm-hmm. wake up the next morning and say what the hell are you doing here <laughs> yeah. and then of course he would say listen I just need to stay here I for a couple of crash, days yeah. and she would say okay you can stay here but you can't drink and he'd say, well, fuck, I got to drink. So you're pushing me into a corner again. And she would say, well, no, I'm not. You have a perfectly valid choice. You can not drink while you live here. Yeah. That's you can your, leave here all you want, but it's that's her your her damn choice. house. She makes the rules. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's your choice. So for me, watching this whole thing. You're watching this play out. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm living there as well. And I'm kind of trying to stay out of it. But at the same time, I'm trying to tell my mom, like, no, no, no you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Even though... I'm just a kid. What the hell do I know about what the right thing is in this scenario? But all I can do is understand what people are telling me and telling her and understand how, how I think this works. Like, we've tried everything else. This is the only thing left to try. Let's try this. We did some interventions. We did other things. My de- My mom's... This is all going on while you're in college. Right. My uncle... is already a difficult... Exactly. You're trying to discover who you are as a totally. human, you know? Exactly. And my, my mom's oldest sister's husband, my uncle Vinny, was in AA for like 35 years. So he was the perfect person for this and he would always look out for him and try his best but it's the true thing is like unless you're ready there's nothing anybody there's nothing can do you for can you and my brother it. just was never ready. Mm. So to add insult injury for my mom, she had a boyfriend of, you know, 10 years or so that was living in the house with her that was a wonderful person in this way and every way, really good guy, died a year after my father died. So not only financially did that destroy her but also just destroyed her emotionally, you know? Yeah. The father of a children children. dies, and then a year later, her life partner, for all intents and purposes, passes away. And she's dealing with my brother, and dealing with all this other sort of stuff. And he obviously helped make some money for the house, and like it was just devastating. So I'm there at home as well, and I'm still in college at this point, like you said, trying to figure out what I'm doing, trying to have a social life, trying to play baseball and have a good time, learn music, do that stuff. Still at this point, Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's when you and I get to know each other. Yep. So. So that is all happening, and I'm just trying to be mom's friend. Yeah. You know, like... It's that it's 20s that,
0: period where are changing from child to... Exactly,
1: exactly. And it wasn't like a gradual thing, but it was, it was like jarring, you know? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, she needs to lean on people. Yeah. And, of course, I'm more than happy to be that person. I'm learning how to be that person. And, honestly, you know... In the years that have passed since then, we've become obviously, and even then, we're as close as a mother and a son can be, and it's really wonderful. Great emails, of oh, course. Oh, yeah. Gosh, she has the <laughs> Great best emails. emails. Oh my God! Go to my Instagram, people, if you want to see some of my mom's emails. They're incredible. God, Succeed. she's awesome. Right point. to the point. Right and to the point. Out, oh my God! <laughs> One of my favorite gems was: "There's no body to sure, the email. On. There's no body. It's all in the. It's all in the title. You don't like the shampoo." The whole fucking email, <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway, things like that. Or, quote, how long do you think the driveway is? That was another one of my favorites.
0: I mean, just like mean, I mean, what the I amazing mean, I emails, man.
1: Yeah, she's the best. Is, anyway,
0: why doesn't it text? Does she text now? Is it just she learns out? how to text and
1: she's even doing emojis and stuff. Yeah, you well, know? wow. yeah, once people it's get a hold of emojis, world, right? And she's learning how to like take pictures and put them in the thing, it's like a whole other world. She's like getting good now. Yeah, now of course, she wants to save her pictures on the computer from the phone. Which is going to be a whole day of me, like, writing down specific instructions. Yes. Note by note, writing whatever.
0: Down, like, yeah. okay. So anyway,
1: so, um, so my brother and my mom go through this thing for years and years and years. He totals, like, three or four cars around this time at different, you know, he buys a car, totals it, buys a car, totals it, just because of drinking and driving. And somehow walks away from each injury, from each accident, walks away. And unbelievably, no one else is around. No one else is hurt. Everybody walks away fine. Like, the luck that this kid had and still didn't get it, you Mm -hmm. know? And that's what makes what ended up happening, for me, so frustrating, right? Like, when I think about it, I'm filled with so many different emotions, not the least of which is just anger. Anger. With him, still. Like, and, and in a way, like, after a while... I became somewhat of an older brother to him because, you know, they say like if you're an addicted to something, you remain the maturity level that you were when you started getting into that thing, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if my brother was 16 when he started drinking heavy, he was a 16 year old today. Still a 16 year
0: old, and here you are a 21 year old, 22 exactly. year old, right?
1: So um, it's a lot of the same story, a lot of like just repeating themes going on and on and on, and. One night, he's at a friend's house watching the Jets in the AFC Championship game in 2011. I think it was. Is that that game? Yeah. Yep. It is that game. And he's driving yeah. home, and he like could find he had finally had a job for long enough. That to was he,
0: was that the butt fumble game? I mean, that game is like a was, was it that, that game?
1: game? It was either that Sanchez year or the year after. Something. Yeah, it might have been that game. Because I remember, of course, and- that was one of the most. That was all of the sports talk radio in the morning. Of course. Yeah. Anyway, I'm so my brother's at a friend's house in Connecticut, and my brother was super into like at this. You know, like I said, he gets obsessed with certain things. He was super into cooking at the time, which was awesome because it's like you could spend like a couple hours making like a pasta sauce and then serve it to your family or to your friends and have a great time and that's really cool but of course that always comes with drinking while you're making it and drinking while you're eating it and drinking afterwards and everybody buying you stuff because you made dinner and things so anyway they're watching the game apparently they had uh, spaghetti and stuff and it's two or three in the morning after the game and he's like an idiot driving home in this like would-be like muscle car that he could somehow afford Working at this job for surprisingly a couple years, you know And he's on 287 and it's like the end of January. It's freezing cold. It's windy as hell Uh, slick roads and 287 in Westchester coming across and He loses control of the car. It flips a bunch of times He wasn't wearing a seat buckets thrown from the car and dies like you know two minutes later like Mm -hmm. on the on the pavement he dies and uh, I'm living in White Plains at the time uh, like only a couple miles from mom's house and the next morning you know the cops show up at my door and I'm just confused right because like mm-hmm. they're knocking on the door I get like six voicemails as I wake up and I'm like what the hell is going on here and I like I wake up to the knocking on the door and I'm like look at my phone there's like ten voicemails seven a.m. or something yeah. right and I like walk out to the door and the cops are like hey uh, Greg Mao and I'm like yeah because um, would you mind um, getting dressed and coming with us your brother was in an accident last night and I was like oh and, of course, this is a history repeating. I'm like, what the fuck did he do this time? Yeah. Like, yeah. what an idiot. What an asshole. Um, and now that the cops are here, I'm like, oh, did he actually hurt someone this something, time? yeah. What did he do this time? They won't tell me a thing. I guess it's not in their role to do that. So I'm like, well, okay, yeah, let me get dressed. And then I get a call from my aunt Christine or something like that while I'm getting dressed. And she goes, Greg, um... I know the cops are coming to get you. Are you are you awake? Everything. I'm like, yeah, they're here. I'll, I'll be there in a minute at the White Plains Hospital, which was only down the street. Get some clothes on, go to the hospital. I'm trying to make small talk with the cops in the morning just because I don't know what's up. You know. You don't know what
0: the hell's going on. And, of course, yeah.
1: they know fully, and they're just trying to be really quiet and not be make light of anything, but not make heavy of anything, I guess. So I get to the hospital. I'm like, oh, well, thanks for the lift, guys. And I walk out the car, and they're like, no, no, no we'll walk you inside. And I was like, that's when I noticed, like, oh, fuck.
0: This isn't, this isn't normal. The, yeah, cops not, are walking me into the Right.
1: Room. This isn't like a, oh, they're just dropping me off because my mom needed them to be like, this is something serious. So I walk in and there's like another, there's a cop in the hospital and then like, the, like a doctor and the two cops hand me off to them. And that's when they turn around. I'm like, fuck, what the hell? What happened?
0: Your stomach, your heart drink stops that's it, in your yeah. stomach. And, and I bed. walk
1: into this waiting room and my mom and my aunt and two cousins and my uncle are all standing there. And, I walk, and I'm just, I'm still like, this is only seconds after I start to understand what is start of ha, sort of happening. And that's when my mom said, like, you know, Chris, is he's gone. And I'm like, what the? And again, I'm still dumbfounded. And I'm like, pissed. It's the first step, still. right?
0: Disbelief.
1: Yeah. Anger, all the that happens. guilt or whatever. And uh, I'm kind of just standing there. And of course, as soon as my mom says it out loud again, she starts bawling. And everyone else in the room is kind of like gotten their sh- gotten their hands on my shoulder, and I'm co- still confused. I'm like, what? Yeah. Are you ki- like, and then of course, slowly but surely, it turns to like disbelief, turns to anger, turns to conf- still confusion, still like still confused. Doesn't make you know. any sense because you know when my dad passed away, he was a, a world away, and he spent a lot of time away anyway. Mm-hmm. So like, it was this very slow dulling thing when dad passed away because it like. Didn't feel real until a while later. It's like, oh, he's just on tour and he'll come home eventually. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I guess part of my brain still thinks that because I still have this weird fondness for him in that way. This Mm -hmm. like long... He's just on the road. Exactly. Um, But with my brother, I'd see him every day. He'd ask me for a ride to work or ask me for some money for a pack of smokes or whatever the fuck. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And all of a sudden, within a minute, my mom says, well, do you want to go in and see him? And I'm... And I remember, like, the only other dead body that I'd seen up close was Marty, my mom's boyfriend, because he died in the house as well years before. Which was 05 then, right? That was 05, exactly. This so so close, this was years before, right? <laughs> so I get, and I say, well, like, I guess if that's what you're supposed to do, then I guess we'll go in and see him. And I, like, I have a weird thing, apparently, with dead bodies, because, like, it was my brother, and I'm, like, looking at him, but I, like, can't look at him for too long. Of course, I can of look him for a couple seconds at a time, and I have to turn away. And like, like his hand is like, you know, c- uncovered from the sheet, and it's like right there. And I, I guess because you know, if you want to hold his hand for a minute or something like that, if you mm-hmm. want to touch him, and I'm like, I don't even know if I want to touch a cold hand. Yeah, like that doesn't. That's not my brother's hand. That's just a that's, hand.
0: That's someone. That's yeah. Right. That's I, a
1: mannequin. That's a fucking. That's a weird, odd not, thing. I know this story, yeah. So I might have like like grazed it for a second. I was like, no, that doesn't feel right. I kind of like just turned around and I hugged mom for a minute and then I walked out. And it, you know, it was just crazy from there. You know, and I texted a bunch of friends and then shit got crazy. And then it was one of those things where like my brother and I's relationship I, you know, it's like one of those like internal sunshine things where you think of all the good stuff and not as much of the bad after a while. Of you course. Know? We look and, at history with rosy right, glasses. Of course. Latin scene. And the more I think about it, the more I remember some of the harder stuff. But like the good stuff comes to mind first. And I remember when we would hang and play guitar together, when we would have like a serious good conversation about stuff. But you almost always that eventually turned into later that day a really hard and angry conversation about the same thing when he was drunk and was more in tune with whatever the fuck he wanted to be in tune with, you know? Yeah. And a lot of it stemmed from dad and the difference between my relationship with dad and his relationship with dad and that type of stuff. So that was like how each of you dealt with this. Exactly, you know. exactly. So that became, you know, a, like a after the fact, in a sense, it became like a, uh, an underlying theme to the whole situation. So he passed away and, but the thing was like with both of them and they never really, they didn't really say it much to me, but like I learned through friends and through family members that they would speak to that, like how proud of, of them I was, or they were, they were of you. Yes, Yes, that's right. course. Like I would hear like dad's friends and they would, and they would all say, oh man, Bob always said that you were the real musician in the family. Like, man, I love, I love the stuff you've been doing. I've been checking up on you. And I'm like. What? Well, he yeah. never said that. To he never me. said yeah. that shit to me. What the fuck, man! And then even my brother and his friends would be like, "Oh man, you like he played a few records you, exactly. you. Yeah. yeah." And that like was huge to me. And of course, I never got it while he was alive. But afterwards, it's like it's an interesting thing to to hear that like there was maturity in there, even if it wasn't directed at me. It was directed towards me through intermediaries in a way, you know. Yeah. So it's very it's very interesting, but. With Dad, more so than with Chris, though, it was very much a, "This is my path. This is what I have to do." And I've, and of course, I've like built this really wonderful family of friends in this world. Yeah. That like, are that I hope to be with for the rest of my life. In one way or another, like, this is this is the realest group of people I know, and I'm I'm not leaving for anything. You know. Of course. Yeah. And never do I feel better than when I'm either in the studio with them or on stage with them or whatever. You know. Mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. just. And it's only gotten better and better, really. It only gets better, right? Exactly. As like, like, you know, like, and I say to friends, like, even friends that I play with forever, like you or Chris Anderson or somebody else, like, I can remember, like, I'd walk on stage back in the day and I'd be like, well, this might suck. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what if we don't remember any of the tempos we might forget the bridge we might fuck up the like yeah that sort of stuff doesn't really happen anymore which is awesome you know what i mean it's like no no no. okay now we're like really doing it yeah (laughs) you're still figuring out you're like well some of them are train wrecks this this could be end horribly yeah Yeah, yeah. we don't have train wrecks anymore so it just gets better and better you know what i mean Ah, that's true so i don't know so that's awesome but anyway that's that's in a nutshell that's dad and that's chris and mom and that stuff, beautiful stories. Mm-hmm. You
0: sharing your heart with us. You know, oh. I mean, these are oh. moments that a young man, you know, maybe isn't necessarily ready to,
1: yeah, deal with. You know, and you know, and it has. As you age, you know, and I, like, yeah, and as you age, your, and obviously you know this too. Your understanding of yourself during certain events. Becomes more clear and more understood. Yeah, you look
0: back at it and it becomes yeah
1: clear. Exactly. And like, I you have get some, this moment now. Yeah, you have some wisdom about it. You have a way to talk about it for a while. Obviously, like I wouldn't talk much about it just because like I didn't really know what I felt yet. Yeah.
0: you know what I mean. <laughs> you're processing it yourself. Totally. And totally. It takes years. And it, it really it does. Literally takes
1: years. It's yes. like a shock. Right. I remember that one of the trippiest things was like when I became older than my brother ever was. Mm-hmm. I remember the day and I was just like, you're like wait a second this is this is too weird this, this isn't right yeah. exactly yeah you know what I mean so stuff like that there's milestones like that that happen and it's like oh god this doesn't make any sense you know but whatever
0: and it's something you constantly yeah it's yeah. just like permanent it's like it's like uh, it's just always here it's always in your brain these people they're always right there yeah it's like one second away you right know I mean you just turn your head and it's like oh yeah that's 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 that totally You know, well, let's go to the modern times. Let's let's switch to now. Your what are some current projects you have? Do you have any like anything you want to talk about? Maybe specifically, like some writing stuff. Is Brooklyn Sugar Company writing? Are you writing under your own thing? Well, are you writing? You know,
1: obviously, all the beats you do with the real. Sure. There, it's my life is. I try to like steer my life in the way that I think I want it to go, professionally especially. Yeah. And I try to take baby steps towards that end every day, right? I set a goal for a, a couple of years out, and I say, like, if I'm around that place by then, I'm I'm doing okay. I'm doing good, yeah. And I remember, like, I would try to phase myself out of, like, the local sideman thing after a while, and to be and able become to...
0: become a producer or become... Exactly. Uh, that, was always,
1: that was always that, the end goal, right? Yeah. But, like, the local sideman thing, like, the bread wasn't always great, and... I became, <clears throat> thankfully, like a pretty much like in, like a pretty heavy call guy. Yeah. With a couple of friends that I would play with a lot, and I was playing these clubs like six nights a week, three four sets a night with different artists, and I would like my brain was about to explode with all the music I had. So much there. music
0: to process. And the
1: bread wasn't like I said, the bread wasn't enough to like make all that worth it. So I said I got to step back from this. I'm going to play with more bands that I want to, or less bands in general, but only the ones I really want to. I'm going to play with more
0: and, and then focus on the studio.
1: Right. But to be able to like subsidize that, I got to take on higher-paying gigs. So I started to do weddings and and private parties. Corporate gigs, yeah. And I still do that stuff on the weekends, but a lot of that is able to fund, like you said, my studio stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I still, I'm really proud to say that my office is still the studio that I was playing around in when I was a kid. Born and raised it, yes. My dad's studio, the first floor of my mom's house, is still my workspace, And I fucking love it there, man. I walk in and I'm so blessed to have not only all this gear that is already there, but I've of course added to it, but also like the fact that mom lives upstairs and she and I can talk as much as we want to. And I can still mow the lawn for her when I need to and move potted plants and shit. And, but also just the energy of the rooms is huge for me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? As much as they've changed arrangement wise, they still have, you know, the brick and mortar is still there. Yeah. So... I've tried to focus more and more on producing, and I started to find that, like, as I got better at it, the more I realized that I felt more and more at home doing, playing that role. Mm-hmm. You know, like as the the quality of the recordings and the quality of the songs that I would usher along, and sometimes co-write and things like that. Like, I felt like, oh no, no, no. this is really what I want to do. Like, this is this is my calling. Yeah, exactly. So, over the last couple of years, I've tried to really steer myself into that world, and it's been going pretty well, I mm-hmm. think. Um, this year, full calendar of records, which has been really, really a blast.
0: This past calendar year, 2017. Yeah, yeah and yeah. a lot
1: of the stuff that's going to come out in 2018 that I've been working on through 2017, which is cool. Finished a um, an EP for b the, the R&B dude, right? Yep. Brian Koyaza. <coughs> it's one of the Amazing sickest singers. He, I've famous. had him on my mind for years, right? For a long time, we would become friends years and years and years ago. And finally, one day, this is a couple years ago now, I like pitched him in a way, like, hey, man. What do you sound like? Because he's he was in a band for a long time with his brother and his cousin, and they did this like pop soul thing, which Life is great, society, right? Yeah. And I said, Brian, like, what do you sound like? You are obsessed with with Stevie and Michael and Prince and and De La Soul and this like New Jack Swing stuff. Like, why doesn't that come out in that band? And he like it was a rhetorical question, really. I didn't expect him to answer. but I was like, well. Why don't you make a re- well, I want to make a record with you where you, we do that stuff. Yeah. And finally, like a few months later, he was like, you know what? Let's do that. Let's do this Let's record. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he started to do some co writes. We did some stuff. He worked with some friends. He wrote some on his own. And it all turned into this EP that he did called Keep It Light that we did all at the house. And I'm like super proud of it because it's it was like one of the first things that I did that was like a true reflection of what I was trying to go for, where I can sit, in the, in, sit inside the brain of somebody else, sit in their style of music. And sort of help them usher that thing along. Flush it out. Yeah. Right? Because it's funny, like you were saying, like we were talking about a couple, like however long ago, about the different style, styles of music that I was into when I was a kid and that I stayed into forever. I find it a blessing that I can then help different types of artists and I don't get pigeon-held into some style to like produce that always. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm not. I mean, of course, I would love to be Max Martin, but I'm not, like, called on to write a number one hit every day. I can, like, make a folk record one day, make a hip-hop record the next day, make a soul record the third day, and then just, you know, whatever. You could do all of these things. Exactly. Yes. So the beesky record musically has done really, really well, and it's got his project off the ground. We're going to go back into the studio and do another single next month, mm-hmm. which is going to be really rad. Uh, hopefully that'll... It's just all, like,
0: kind of in the box, like, production, yeah. hip-hop yeah, yeah. kind of So that, It's not yeah. really, like, live. <clears throat> So the, the EP... The record sounds like that, but then yeah, live you do of it. of course, yeah, right. Yeah.
1: So the EP we did was like half in the box, half live. And the point was like with that band, we wanted to marry the two, right? So it's a lot of like live drums, but sound replaced with sampled instruments. And then a lot of like synth keyboards that are in the box, live guitars, you know, like a combination of the two, because that's his thing, which is a great sound for him. And it works really well. And he's happy and I'm happy and people are starting to listen to it and they're really happy. So it's been awesome. Um, in addition to that my buddy Robbie Gill and I you're doing a Robbie Gill record doing a Robbie Gill record now Robbie's crazy the first record he wanted to we've been playing me and the Brooklyn Sugar Company guys have been playing with him for five or six years right I think at least a long time maybe more than that probably more Uh, probably more than that and he hasn't released a record in that time we did a live record at Rockwood we recorded three shows picked a couple songs from each show and put them out on on a live record and that went well but he hasn't made a studio record in forever. And of course, he's Does been he writing- baby? Does he, he's has, got, right, he's got he has a baby? Right, he's got a wife and a baby, and he's a brilliant woodworker Carpool, and like home yeah, renovator right. guy. So he's been doing that, and making a ton of money and doing great. You know what Busy I mean? Guy, yeah. Really good work, and he's awesome at it. But he's also a brilliant songwriter, and a great singer, and a, he's just a badass. So he came to me and he said, Greg, I wanna make another record. <clears throat> but I've been writing so much, and I've got no place to put these tunes, I wanna make a double album. <laughs> I'm like, you fucking asshole. (laughs) Of course you do, Robbie. Of
0: course you do, because you haven't done a record in seven
1: years. (laughs) Exactly. Put your foot in it. Let's go make a double album. I'm like, okay, so how many songs are we talking? He goes, well, I have like, I've been going through, of course, probably like 25 something songs. I have like 40 demos that I've been done over the years. But if we cut it down to like 25 or something like that, it'd be cool. And I want to put it on vinyl too. I want to release it digitally and then put it on vinyl as well. I was like, great. Awesome! Great, dude. How are we gonna pay for do you this? 100 G. Yeah. Exactly. How? What are we gonna do? And he says, "Well, listen, I want Brooklyn Sugar Company, obviously, to like work on the whole thing. Everybody's gonna co-produce. We're gonna do it with you at the house. You're gonna be the helm guy, and everyone's gonna, you know, put in their two cents and put in their their vibe." Um. So let's let's do this. Let's do this for real. And I said, "Well, listen, if I'm gonna take on this endeavor, it's gonna take up a lot of my time, and I'm gonna have to neglect some other things." So. Let's put some money together and let's do some honest pre-production. Because these songs, the way you've been doing them, his records are always good, but they... They're always like smash and grab sort of jobs, right? Yeah. It's like, let's book three days in a studio, record everything live, and then I'll sing one take each and then put it out. It's a record. Right. Yes. So it's, And, he's, and he, said to him, he said to me personally, he says, I've never really felt super comfortable in the studio with my time and my energy and stuff. So I would love to be able to do this and take as long as it takes. And I said, that's great. Let's do it that way. So we did a month of pre-production last summer. And we went in the studio last fall with the full band and did a bunch of... Um, Backing track stuff, like, you know, um, um, rhythm section stuff. And then we've just been doing overdubs for months and months and months. We finally convinced him to do four EPs instead of, like, a true double album. Yeah. Just because in the way that we ingest music nowadays, you have to do You've it You've got to break way, it right? up for people. So it's five much songs emotion, yeah. per EP, and each EP comes out, like, every three months or so. So the first Perfect. EP is going to come out in December. We actually have a release date now. It's going to be December 8th. Rockwood Music Hall, 9 oh, p.m. 9 followed PM, by. Followed by. by Band Christmas Spectacular. The greatest show of the year. Damn yes. right. So that's the first EP release, and then the next one will come out three months later, three months later, three months later, and then is when the double vinyl will come out for anybody who wants that. Once the, all the EPs are out, that's when the thing will come out. Beautiful. So it's this really long job. Involved big yeah. product. Yes. And of course, it's all front loaded. We did a ton of the work ahead of time before the first EP is even ready. That one's been mixed and mastered and we're all good. Second one is almost done already because of all the work we've done up to this point. And three and four are on their way as well. But it's been this really great like labor of love because the music is awesome. He's a wonderful guy to work with. It's a blast. And I'm so happy that he is so excited about the way the project. It's like no record he's made before. No process he's been involved in before. And it's, you get I, to yeah. really help... Right. Is
0: it really like a Roots Americana kind of sound yeah. or is it
1: doing a different thing? It is. It's all of that, right? So yeah. like we play it. kind right in your wheelhouse. Totally. So we play it like as if we're like Joe Cocker's band or we're the band or we're even the Stones here and there, that type of thing. Yeah. And, but also like there's a couple tunes that he really consciously wanted to lean into like a poppier, well not pop of course, but like something that you might find on you know, one o seven one, or, you know, 104.3 yeah. of the and modern PR rock. Really. Exactly. Yeah. So we're trying to steer some of the stuff towards that, which has not been the way that he's recorded anything up to this point. He hasn't arranged tunes that way before. So when we did all the pre-production on these tunes, we started to unleash all those possibilities and really, like, create arrangements and stuff. And that's something that he was, like, dumbfounded by. Because up to this point, (laughs) he's he's never done anything like that. He's like, what are we doing? I've been playing with the guy for years, seven, whatever, six, seven years. And I've rehearsed a total of like three times. You just go play the gig. Because you just play the gig. You learn the tunes, kind of. And then you kind of figure it out as you play live, which is a way to do it. But not if you're trying to make that kind of record. Yeah. So we've been in the studio working on that, which is awesome. Then, like I said, b coming back. Um, We have two and a half weeks in December with It's The Real. We're going to make our next record. It's The Real... For those of you who don't know, is a hip hop group um, comprised of Eric and Jeff Rosenthal, who are my best two of my best friends since I was in kindergarten. I've known these guys forever. And long story short, they're great hip hop artists who are the funniest they're motherfuckers on people. earth. Yeah, they're and, as funny as it gets. And through them. And it's funny, like you said, like we were talking about earlier, with the music you get into through your friends, in addition to what you're working on at home when you're in high school, they introduced me to hip-hop. Yes. Yeah, so and you Encyclopedic hip-hop knowledge from this other
0: exact side of your life. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So I got into making hip-hop beats with them in high school. And that was just a guilty pleasure, just to fuck around and make songs about camp friends and stuff like that. And we would yeah. just hand out mixtapes during camp. Like, we all worked at the same place. So that's Purchase how that started. Camp. In the house, camp. Yeah, what up, PDC, son? <laughs> yeah. So... So then, yeah. Keep talking. I we'll eat. Good no, no, it's all good. So years later, I got you. I'm gonna Literally explode. <laughs> okay, man. So years later, we uh, oh sorry, years later, we started to um, make these hip hop videos that they would release on YouTube, and they would be these like SNL type digital shorts that were picking apart uh, or making fun of or making light of something in the hip hop world. And the hip hop industry got really into these kinds of things. They started to have some of their artists in the videos to promote their next record, to show that they had a sense of humor and that they could get some more promo that way. So I would do all the music for these sketches. I would do some of acting here and there. Then they got into some TV work. They were doing some interviews, red carpet stuff. they were doing some talking head stuff um, on these comedy shows. And then we started making records, like real records. And I've gotten much, much better at producing hip-hop music. They've gotten much better at, you know, obviously writing the tunes and rapping and stuff. And through a couple of their other endeavors, you know, um, like I said, the TV stuff and this podcast that they do called A Waste of Time with It's The Real, which is blowing up as well, um, We're kind of like promoting one with the other. And, you know, they're kind of helping each other out in that way. And... It's going really, really well. We played a gig at SOBs a couple months ago, and this was the sickest thing. Played a gig a couple months ago at SOBs, and we had Just Blaze as our DJ, which <laughs> yeah. is fucking insane. Yes. Like, I try to explain for people who don't know who Just Blaze Just is. Just Blaze is huge. Like, oh my God, dude. It's like if you had Quincy Jones at your show uh, yeah. and hanging out with you. You know what I mean? Quincy Jones for pop, Just Blaze for hip hop. It's like insane. <clears throat> and at one point, after the show, because he's been a fan of It's the Real for a long time, he turns to me after the show, and I'm like hype man for Eric and Jeff, and I know yeah. all the words, and I sing some hooks. After the show, Just Blaze like comes in and gives me this this pound, and he says, "Yo, man, I'm a big fan of your beats. You're killing it, dude. Damn, keep that shit up. It's awesome." I'm like, I like, I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. You're like, I'm like you're I'm Just Blaze. Just, like, yeah. oh my god, thank you. That's man, I really appreciate that. It's so cool. It was I don't know, it's amazing that like mm, that is amazing. Yeah, I'm this white guy from Westchester and I hang with my two Jewish white boyfriends.
0: Just blessed. And the
1: king of hip hop beat making is like into my shit. So and of course, like in the hip hop world, I'm not super immersed in it socially, like Eric and Jeff are. Yeah. So I have to you're hear a peripheral. Never. Exactly, yeah. and I hear critiques and 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 uh, reviews through them, really, mm-hmm. and they probably filter it for me, of course, a little bit here and there. But like all they say is like, "Oh man, people really feeling the beats, people really love the record, whatever." Yeah. Every once in a while, somebody says it's whack, but who cares? That's just going to happen. Oh. But like I hear it through them, and then to hear from directly from Just Blaze, I'm like, okay, I'm on the right track. Just Blaze is checking this out is this record. Cool, yeah.
0: this is really cool. Okay, you have so, so many pots in the fire here. Yeah, we have a folk it, rock record. A funk yeah. soul record. Yeah, You're the hip hop record. Yeah, running hip hop career. Yeah, it's and I did um, a punk rock record with Tally.
1: I did. I'm working on a kids record with Susie Shelton, that Susie artist, Shelton. the kids band that I've been playing with for years, which has been a blast. Um, and is that um, like a commercially pop song, or is that like kind of kindy? It's yes, yeah, kindy stuff for the yeah. most part. But it's like the funny thing is, we're Dan and I, Dan Wein, are the other co-producer that I'm working with on, who mm-hmm. he plays drums for her as well um we're we're the funny thing is we're producing it like we would any other record yeah and that's kind of like a no-brainer but it's kind of a funny thing in that world I think because a lot of people approach that music like it's supposed to be light and airy and, and it is but like they kind of like pull punches with the production it's like just make it like any other record and just make the subject matter about kids yeah and you're so gonna, gonna make be, a sick record you it's know be great musically record. exactly so we kind of like the. The double thing of where like parents can actually probably get into the production of the record and kids can get into the stories and the meanings of the songs. Yeah. But like if a parent has to listen to it over and over on a car ride or something, they might be into like the guitar playing or the arrangements or the production or something, and it could they could get something out of it too. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of what we're going for with so that. Dan on drums and you're on just everything else. Kind Pretty of? much. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna bring in Jeff Crayley to play bass a little bit. We're gonna bring Jeff Caressis to play bass a little bit. They play with her as well here and there. But it's really just the two of us and her just kind of working she our butts off all the time. Again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's going. And then what else? Um, I've been mixing. That's not enough. Yeah. You know <laughs> I've been mixing a lot more than I ever have. Yep. Like I always thought it was a shitty mixer. I like never felt confident about mixes. It would take forever for me to get to a place that like I felt like I could even send it to the artist and say, okay, I think we're in a Here's good spot. A mix. Give me yeah. your critiques. And I realized after a while it was because I was just mixing shitty sounding records and most of it was shit that i recorded that i just wasn't good at yet you know as an engineer so like as i realized like as i'm getting better quality recordings coming in Mm. mixing is easy it's like a no-brainer but it's like oh yeah this this makes sense oh fuck this is what it's all about so i'm starting to actually get calls to like mix records that i didn't work on already which has been really cool because like i said i was always self-conscious about it but it's actually going pretty well
0: maybe it's something you want to Explore more in the future. Yeah,
1: I went from hating it to like really loving it. Actually, I'm still nervous that like I'm gonna send out a mix to somebody and they're gonna be like, "Well, I thought you were better than this. Sorry, we're gonna go in another direction." (laughs) But you know, for example, just the other day, um, I mixed I mixed a batch of tunes for Zach Jones, Uh Zach Jones, drummer of Brooklyn Sugar Company, but also brilliant singer songwriter, guitar player in his own right. Uh, He's got a band called Zach Jones and the Tricky Bits, and he asked me to to mix the most recent EP. Which, like I said, I didn't work on otherwise. But uh, he sent me the tracks, and I mixed them over a couple days, sent it to him, and was, like I said, half expecting him to say, "Be like, man, Greg, cool, thanks, man. I love you, buddy." But I think we're gonna take some time with this, yeah. man. We're gonna go somewhere else. Send this to someone who does this for yeah. a job, bro. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But he texted me later the day. I was like, "Yo, man, these are killing. I've got a couple notes, but this is awesome. I love what you did." And I'm like, "Oh my god, maybe I'm actually not maybe terrible I at this. I'm gonna try this. to do this." Yeah. So, like. My goal, like I was saying earlier, my goal years out, my goal, like in the distance, is to. 40, 45. Yeah, is to just be working in a studio. Like, I don't. I enjoy the road here and there, but Mm -hmm. I don't need it. I enjoy weddings when I have to do them, but I don't like them that much. I don't need it. I want to make records and Mm -hmm. I want to usher records along, whether I'm producing them or just playing on them or mixing them or doing something. I want that part. That's what I would love to do. It also like would fit in with a family life that I hope to have someday too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I would love to have a studio in my house and just work there days or nights or whenever I have to and then go off and do other things. Yeah. You know? So that's kind of the goal. So even over the next couple of years, if I can be mixing more, if I can have like a production calendar, like working one or two records ahead instead of like, you know, in the years past, I'd work on a record and then be like, well, let's hope somebody else calls yeah (laughs) this is the first time in my life or the last like six months or so where i can say oh man there's somebody calling for the next like in two months i have the record that i'm working on Mm -hmm. and then in another month i know when the next record is and then that one's going to come out and things are going to like i can start to look ahead a little bit which as musicians as you know is the hardest thing in the world to do (laughs) it's impossible impossible right like every like the cliff keeps like as you walk forward the cliff keeps moving forward Mm -hmm. but like you, there's always a cliff there. It's always <laughs> you know I mean? there, yeah. So like, <laughs> you look in your calendar, you're like, well, I hope somebody... You're
0: like, somebody... Wow, summer is going to be light. Yeah, and right? And then
1: you're working every
0: single day. Exactly. Yeah, so so the you
1: freelancer life. You have to trust that it's going to happen, but you never can trust that it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a scary thing. Yeah. It really
1: is. Yeah. For... You were the one who
0: said that, actually. You said uh, you said that. And I, I use that line with other people. He said, I hope that everybody gets the ability to be their own boss someday. Oh, my God. Yes. Right, because yeah. we have so many people in our life who you know, they're afraid to take this step. Exactly,
1: exactly. And also, by the way, take that same quote, which actually works that way as well. Take it another way, that like if everyone had to be their own boss for a little while, everybody would be infinitely better at their jobs. Infinitely better. And like generally happier. Yeah. Exactly right. If you take responsibility for things at at your work, if you you know if you work at a bigger company and you you have a boss or something like that, like. Less things fall through the cracks if you understand like what it takes to do the whole thing. Like, yeah. just be better at it. You know what I mean? Take more pride in what you do and or, and <clears throat> hopefully be proud of the job that you do so that you can take pride in your work. It seems like a no brainer, but yeah. I hope everybody gets a chance to do that. Sadly, it's not the case. It's most not of the, time, the case.
0: It's 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 yeah. maybe even the society isn't set up for the small business. You know, there's okay. an ongoing discussion where you're like, Obviously. you're getting slammed on taxes. You're like, right. dude, I mean... Yeah. I didn't even make enough money. Like, yeah, exactly. are you kidding me? Yeah, right. Like you New York State self-employment tax.
1: Yeah, of course. But I guess anyway. the, the most exciting, or the, that's all super exciting for me. But one of the coolest things that I've been doing lately is I've been I started to play with John Bon Jovi. The John Bon Jovi. John yes. Bon, Jersey's king, John Bon Jovi. Um I got a call from there's this woman, Lorenza Ponce, I used to play with, and I stayed in touch and we do some um, uh, VA hospital gigs over the last couple of years played with her years and years ago with actually what became Brooklyn Sugar Company mm-hmm. so it's funny that that group was like actually the baseline actually was born from yeah art. was born in Lorenz's band and then it blossomed into Martin's Martin Rivas's band and Robbie Gill's band and that's kind of like been the baseline of a lot of the work that I've done since then these have been yes. my guys um, the other two guys who we didn't mention are Brian
0: Colleen and the great Pat Firth
1: absolutely yes Brian is great too. they need to be named yes yeah. of course um, the singular one, as a lot of people call him, for no reason whatsoever, <laughs> he got called the singular one once, long time before I knew him, and it's just, just stuck. It just works. Yeah. yeah. And Pat is the professor, Pat Firth.
0: He is the professor
1: again. I don't know if he's ever really taught, but
0: he's the professor. So what the hell, you know? He has an intellectual air about him. Yeah,
1: he certainly does. Yeah. So Lorenza and I, like I said, stayed in touch, and she's been playing with John, John bon Jovi for forever, for a long, long time, since long before I knew him. And we did a couple of dates with her opening for Bon Jovi on at like big stadiums. And this certain.
0: is like years ago too, right? Yeah, yeah. This, this is like is... six,
1: seven years ago as well. Yes. Yeah. No. This is when I first met Zach Jones was in a rehearsal for her, mm-hmm. which is like, yeah, it must be seven, eight years ago now. Yeah. Um, you know what? If, I, if we put the, this is weird, if we put the timeline on it, we did the Abbey Road record cover to cover for my birthday in 2009. What was that your 27th birthday or something? 25th. I don't remember. It was 25, 20, 2009. So whatever that was. Fuck the math. But whatever. 2009, 2008. I have the DVD in there somewhere. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so it was months later that I met Zach for the first time, and that's how. That's when the Lorenzo thing started. So it was seven and at least seven and a half years ago. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. That's so crazy to think about. but yeah, yeah. I know. Fuck that shit. Anyway. So we stayed in touch, and she calls me out of the blue one day. She says, "Listen, um, are you in town?" John Bon wants to meet you. (laughs) First question
0: is, are you in town? You're like, no, but I'd still like to meet him. Exactly. I'll fly back tomorrow.
1: Well, right. But the funny thing was I had just... You were not in town. I literally got off the plane to that voicemail in New York because I was supposed to be away for a whole week on tour in the West Coast, landed in San Francisco to a text saying the tour was canceled. A text. But, yes, of course. The I person I was something. playing with, yeah. person I was playing with, wonderful person, said, you know what? Just hang in San Fran for the day. I'll fly back tomorrow. Still pay you full. Totally cool. I apologize for all this. It's okay. not my fault. It's the person we're opening for. Long, long story. The way they are. Anyway, so I fly back to New York the next day after having a great day off in San Fran. A wonderful day in San Fran. Beautiful, yeah. that beautiful city. <laughs> so fly back to New York to this voicemail, and I call her back. I'm like, yeah, actually. I just got back in town, and I have a week off. <laughs> yeah. Paid. Yeah. So she says, well... I'll call you back. Let's set up lunch tomorrow or the next day with John. I said, yes. Okay. I am available. Yeah. I will be there. <laughs> um, so she says, okay, um, we're going to meet in the, uh, in the West Village. She's got yep. a place down there, and we're going to meet for pizza at, like, noon. So we meet up. Pizza. Not just normal pizza, too, right? Oh, no. It was this really great artisan pizza shop, yeah. um, gluten-free pizza choices in there. It's a mm-hmm. really great restaurant. The place wasn't closed for us, but nobody was in there yet, so it was really chill. Perfect, yeah. And he's like the sweetest guy in the world. Now, Such a did good he dude. come in
0: like a hat and sunglasses and incognito or is it, he is Bon Jovi offstage.
1: Oh, he is Bon Jovi offstage. stage. He, sometimes he's got he, tight jeans on and boots he has and hair be, and, Sometimes he has to be incognito, of course. I right?
0: mean, he's a pretty distinct looking cat. Of course. You know?
1: He wore sunglasses, leather jacket, a white t-shirt and jeans. Yeah. And that was what he had on. And even like the waitress was, probably knew who he was, but was cool. She was totally fine. It's New York. Yeah, 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 right. Everybody sees everybody. No big deal. So he just says, listen, man, I love your playing. I love... um, Now, how has he heard you playing at this point? She sent him some YouTube videos of me playing. So I... And this is the funny thing. This is specifically to be guitar player singer. Correct. This is not involving... Correct. All of the millions of other things. Sure. Yeah, sure. He did find out that I ended up playing keys as well, so I double on keys during some of the events that we do. Um, but he had, she had sent him a couple of videos of me playing guitar at like shows, at club dates and stuff. Yeah. So one of the videos that she saw of me of doing, which is totally full circle, is me and Mayo Band covering Do You Feel Like We Do, the Peter Frampton song, yeah. with me doing lead vocals, guitar solo, and talk box stuff, yeah. which is obviously important in the Jovi thing. And she sent him this like 12-minute video of me playing this song like note for note all the way through. So when he met me that day, he was like, yo man, I love your plan. You have a talk box, you know how to use it, you're the guy. You're let's go. Yeah. So (laughs) you sing, you play. Exactly. So he gave me the set list. I said, I'll do the homework. He says, let's set up some rehearsals. And the rest is history. I've been playing with him. So when you do that, is it all it's his tunes? It's It's, yeah. It's these iconic records. Correct. Correct. We all know. Yeah. It's (laughs) like and that's the craziest part. Like you go from playing covering these tunes at the Red Lion or playing the, covering these yeah. tunes at wedding bands to like playing the tunes with him standing playing the thirty feet away from you. With that guy. Yeah. 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 It's a trip, man. It's and it's a blast. And like I said, he's the nicest guy in the world. Such a great guy and really treats us well. Really love like like this is this is the type of project that he doesn't have to do really, I don't think, you know, financially or whatever otherwise. But like he, he just, just loves making playing. music with good people and Loves to keep the chops up and that type of stuff and mm-hmm. he just loves playing with with good folk. good folks. So I'm just honored to be one of those folks. yeah, yeah that's it's amazing. a blast. Yeah. do you guys rehearse at his house? We do. yeah. He's got a, <laughs> he's got like a studio carriage house off to the side and that's where the that's where the rehearsal space is quote unquote. Wow, it's really great. I rad. mean, yeah, he's like a car collector, right?
0: Isn't that one of the things? Tr- I don't even
1: know. He might you don't be. even know. It's I, like Jerry Sively. They might be whole, elsewhere. Yeah, you know, exactly. He might have a, garage a whole... And he might have an airport cars. hangar somewhere. You never yeah, know, yeah. right? And, wow.
0: Do you have any uh, personal antidotes of stories of hanging out with the guy that we could get a little, <clears> a little taste of the rarefied air of the Bon Jovi
1: world, you know? Well, I can tell you that he is like a, the sweetest man and just a good, like... He's not one of these dudes who has this like, like you said, even though there is an air about him, he doesn't have it about himself, right? Like the day after I met him, he called me on my phone, on my cell phone here in the apartment and he was like, I answered the phone and it was like a random, it was a different number than the one he gave me. I guess he's got obviously a couple lines. Yeah. And he says, yo, what's up, Greg? It's John. How you doing? And I'm like, hey, John. (laughs) I'm like, Bon Jovi? What the? Hey, man. How you doing? And he says, yeah, I just wanted to... just wanted to see if you had any more questions or any thoughts. I Wanted to run a couple dates by you, because he like runs. He's his own... doing the dates. He's with doing the thing, dude. Yeah. out it all. of here! Yeah, yeah. he Did... doesn't have a manager or like. a... Well, he does, but he likes to run this part of it himself. I guess. Oh my gosh! Like the emails. Well, this, is, this is this is surprising. Yeah, yeah, the emails for the dates come directly from him. <laughs> It's really sick. It's really That's
0: cool. like, so can you do Tuesday at 10? I mean, yeah. you could do 11 if any of you.
1: No, no, exactly. Sure. And then, like, he sends it to the group, whoever's involved in that particular show. And you just write, reply all back. Oh, yeah, man, good. Let's go. Ready. Wow. And, of course, you clear your schedule because you're ready. Yeah, you know whatever. What I mean? <laughs> whatever it is you had. With his Sorry. Cans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, it's a blast. It's really, really cool. I'm like... You know, we, we had a gig in um, Galveston, Texas. We did a, um, an event for Gabby Giffords, the, the senator who got shot and, you know, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. They, um, the Navy commissioned a ship in her name. It's Beautiful. the first time I think it's happened since Eleanor Roosevelt mm-hmm. that they commissioned a ship in a woman's name. Wow. It's just ridiculous. But anyway, so in Galveston, they're gonna this ship is going to f- make birth, I guess. And they have this gala the night before. And John and her and her husband, who's the astronaut guy... Close friends, and they ask him to come and play. He says, "Yeah, of course." So we go down, we go to Galveston, we play the show. The full rock band, or the no, acoustic no, just trio? the acoustic, acoustic quartet. It's quartet. him, me, another guitar player, and Lorenzo playing violin and singing. Does he play guitar the whole time, or he just? Uh, he does both. He puts it on sometimes, takes it off sometimes. Um, so we're hanging, and it's a wonderful, beautiful scene. And uh, he gives a great little speech, and so does. Gabby's husband, and so do a couple other people in the military and other things. Uh, Joe Biden was there. He didn't say anything, but he was there walking around. It was like so all secret tributes. Is it's everywhere, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. it's amazing. So after the show, we're staying in the hotel where the where the gala happened, and we're up. Like I go back up to the room, and Lorenza and I are like, work is done. We're gonna have some like a glass of wine. I have a glass of wine. So we take the bottle of wine from the green room up to the up to my hotel room, and her room is next to mine. We go out on the balcony. We're just gonna sip wine and watch the waves or whatever. And she says, oh, we should put another chair out here. John's going to come down. And I'm like, huh? John's going to come down on my shit. John? Like, bon Jovi? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every time I hear the name John, I have to put in parentheses, hey. Bon Jovi? Hey. Bon Jovi? Hey. Bon Jovi. Yeah. So, of course, 10 minutes later, I'm like, oh, shit. Well, let me clean the room a little bit. Let me make it nice, I guess. <laughs> Not that he cares, I guess. But so... <clears throat> He comes, you know, he knocks on the door, and I'm like, hey, John, come on in. And we set up a chair for him, and then the other guitar player, who's the MD, comes down, and he joins us as well. So the four of us are just drinking wine on my little... time Because John has got the penthouse upstairs. He doesn't yeah. need to come to our little room. He, uh, he comes and, like, chills on our balcony, and we're just, like, watching the moon come up and watching the, the waves come in on this Galveston shore, and we're just, like, shooting the shit about nothing, right? Yeah, funny like, stories. Like, funny stories... Um, movies that we love we were like we I was gonna say we were on Zoolander for like 10 minutes like we're all just big fans of the same we, type we of shit we love Zoolander yeah. yeah and he's got stories that are similar to my dad's obviously he and dad sort of were ran in the same circles for a while so i can sort of jump in with some funny things anecdotes about dad and he's got some cool stories in that realm but like most of the time we're just talking about either politics or movies or comedy or tv like just no, nothing what everything else just whatever just whatever yeah but as I've gotten to know him, too... I mean, and that was like one of the... A night I'll never forget. Because he's just hanging out. He's got his, like, Notre Dame like hoodie on, you know? It's yeah. just, he's just a cool, chill dude, you know? Um, and then, of course, I found out that he runs these, like, wonderful foundations and these charities for um, uh, feeding the homeless in New Jersey and around the country and building homes. And he's just, like... he's He's done well, obviously, for himself, but he does well for... The, like for society and for the you know for America and for the world he's just a good man a genuine dude yeah. yeah it's really just I'm, and if even just for that reason I'm honored to like be or be around him and be involved and help him in any way I can with that not that I'm helping in that realm but like I play music at the events that he does sometimes so that's a little something but just to see like a man of his stature doing doing right is awesome yeah know? and to know him it's, it's just really cool to experience that so it's just the man. Yeah, and I mean that's, I, and I love playing in this band. That's got to be. I get the whale '80s guitar solos with. Yeah, the like dude doing the Liverpool and, solo. Bon Jovi is nominated for 2018 uh, Hall of Fame induction. Oh. They're not inductees yet. They got to get voted, but this is the first year they're up for it. So Jovi might be in the Hall of Fame. So
0: where is the other guy?
1: The other, which other guy we're we talking about?
0: The Sambora guy.
1: Oh, that guy. <clears throat> the other guy there's he, other guys there's gotta be a million guitar players of like. course there's a lot of other guys now his I guess he likes to keep Bon Jovi proper and this other project or these other projects completely separate I guess the other guys are, are pretty busy in their own lives as they well and things. they do well They've enough been a for 30, 40 exactly. years exactly so. so I don't we don't interact really with those guys because mm-hmm. whenever we're with him it's with this separate sort of part of his life you yeah. know And God, I mean, who knows, maybe they're all sick of each other by the time they finish a tour or they just want to go back home and live with their families and stuff. So all the other guys just kind of live their own lives and we play, we're like session guys, New York and Jersey session guys who play with him in these settings. And then he's got his, you know, stadium rock Bon Jovi band that he plays with when he plays those kinds of things. So... I can't imagine they would even be interested in playing these shows. Yeah, but they're like, yeah, it's cool, man. You can, you yeah, can take the gallows. Like, gig. I'll take your scraps, man. Your scraps are pretty good, dude. <laughs> it's fine pretty by good me. Pickup, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So it's that kind of show. It's awesome. That's cool. Well, that's very exciting news
1: for in the world of Bon Jovi. Yeah. And I get to buy some guitars too. That's, you know what I mean? I need him for the gig, man, so I gotta buy him. Uh, you you know get know what what I go do a Joey guitar, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Specific
0: guitars. How many guitars have you gotten to get? Not that we've geeked out on like gear at all, but. For,
1: for his gig, I bought two guitars. Um, because when we play, like the guitars that they already have aren't specifically good for that thing, you mm-hmm. know? So uh, it's funny, the day that we met, the day that I met with him and I got a couple dates in the books that he was into and he wanted me to be involved in, I was like, great. Cool. We finished lunch, and then I walked directly to Thirty Street Guitars, and I bought a three thirty five. It's like, did you specifically need that sort of axe? For I that? did. Yeah, like <clears throat> I don't have like a Les Paul or anything like that that has like the big humbucker fat thing for the modern Jovi catalog, mm-hmm. right? Like the more like the two thousand and on catalog, which is a little more like straight rock and not as much like arena eighties rock, you know? So I got the three thirty five. For that sound, and I've always wanted one to have as my own. I had one for a little you had while, one it didn't and it work. Had and yeah, yeah. I got a, it had had some problems, so I got this one, and it's amazing. It's the Warren Haynes model. It's the sickest thing ever. Yeah. So I play that, <clears throat> and then online, I bought because I don't have anything with a Floyd Rose. I don't have anything with like a dive bomber. I don't have like the super distortion DiMarzio thing. So I was like, I got to get one of those too. Fuck yeah. yeah! So I went online and I found a Nash S81. That is like the, for those who don't know, it's the Stratocaster eighty one nineteen eighty one 1981 model. So I bought that, sight unseen, brought it to 30th Street. They set it up like a dream. It's like a race car now. And that those are the two guitars I play with the full band setup. up. Mm. And I just get to wail on the thing. Did you go and like geek out on shredder videos you're like
0: okay I need to get
1: like you know I watch. I mean you're a shredder I'm not saying you're not a shredder but, <laughs> but I'm, maybe know, that's not I am but I'm not really you know what I mean it's not, not like, what I grew up doing it's you almost know? a different
0: sound, sound to it they have like a very mechanical machine like time and you have this very right. like soulful bluesy well, sh- groove well, you know what uh, let I mean? me, let
1: me say this if if you replace Jovi with you know Van Halen I would have been completely screwed I wouldn't have been the right guy for the gig. There's no way. yeah, Because that's a whole different part of that style of playing in that world, right? Thankfully, on the Jovi records, they're really great parts and they're great solos and great things, but they are more classic rock-based yeah, than a lot of the other stuff from that era. The pure shred. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a couple of moments of that, but most of the stuff that you think of as flashy if you're listening is really just like, like pinch-picking and things like that. That gives you the squeal And the dive bomb instead of the tapping and the super flourishing stuff, you know. Tremolo. Exactly. They were more concerned with melodic solo playing than they were with the shred or crazy, you know, whatever thing. So, thankfully, I could still handle that without completely reinventing my playing in like a week between learning and then playing the gig. (laughs) Yeah. So, thankfully, that worked out like that. And he, you know, and that's what he was in. That's what he was interested in. That's what I'm capable of doing. I did watch the the rig rundown of the Jovi show. Oh, yeah? Right, which is like 45 minutes long, and the rhythm guitar player in Jovi proper spent a long time talking about all of his setup and all of his gear, and then the lead guy, which is like, yeah, I have like three pedals, and I plug into the pedals and then into the amp, and that's the whole thing. I'm like... And you're functioning as a lead guy. I am, yeah. Yeah. So it was really uh enlightening and um and i was very thankful that the guy doesn't have a super complex rig and that he just does it with a handful of pedals yeah. even the guy the guy who was interviewing him during the rig run i was like, like so what zip. do you do yeah what do you do for reverb and things like that And he goes dude we're in a stadium yeah. <laughs> i don't need a reverb pedal And the i was like all right good point point." and he goes well what about your different like um different uh drive stages and stuff and he goes well i got a volume now i just use that and i have a couple of drives and I have a delay set up for this one tune because it needs a tap tempo thing and I have it pre-programmed. But other than that, like, and I looked at the guy's board. If you look on the video, it's like one of those boards you could fit inside your guitar case on a, in a flight case, like in the overhead compartment. Yep. Yep. Like mm-hmm. that's what the guy brings. And it's like, all right, this is my dude. This I'm is, fine. This is a good guy I can handle this, you know what I mean? So. <laughs> That's that's like as far as I like geeked out into the video stuff. But yeah. for me I just listened to the records a couple more times and the solos that I really already pretty much knew in. I like went a little further into and then some of the songs I didn't know obviously I obviously had to learn, but yeah. they're sick, dude. Those guys could write a fucking hit, man. They write a hit. God damn, he knew what the hell he was doing. Great voice.
0: He sings so high. Yeah. Does he sing yeah. still that high? Yeah. Yeah, he still and does the whole damn he show.
1: Be... He's in his like late fifties, I think, now. Late fifties. Yeah. He's probably in wonderful shape. Oh yeah. Like, scarily so yeah
0: yeah is he doing like he's like, like staying he's just doing yeah oh, yeah exactly push-ups and right eating right.
1: veggies and yeah he doesn't talk about his like crazy workout stuff but like you could a, tell he does his tell. thing yeah. yeah
0: he's a professional yeah. entertainer at a world-class level. right yeah
1: and like <clears throat> super disciplined has a voice lesson literally every day a voice lesson every day every day and, well, it's every day that he's home. When he's on the road, I'm sure, I don't know he if he takes some. And he has his tapes that he warms MP3s up to all whatever, the time yeah. and stuff. But yeah, when he's home, he apparently does a voice lesson every day. Wow. Which is like, yeah, there you go, man. If you want to keep singing That's that stuff, what it takes. you know what the hell to do. This is what it, that like your father
0: doing the hand. And exactly. That's what I that think At that level, of. he is maintaining, right. I mean, and the voices is still a little bit of a mystery. But I can yeah. imagine like yeah. what he has to do and maintain. Oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Eat and right. not eat and drink. And right. Right. A story, this is funny, and this is probably maybe not that interesting to people, but do you know that dude Kareem Devlin? I don't think so. He's a dude, he plays with Constantine, and he okay. did the Lady Gaga tour, like the big tour or okay. whatever, big one, and <clears throat> he started that tour with the whole board, and then yeah. the sound man was like, when you get done with this fucking tour, I'm going to have it done, you just plug in the guitar into the amp, you know what I mean? And so yeah. he plays a Les Paul into the amp, he's like the lead yeah slash guy so it's funny that and as I've kind of moved up it's almost like you kind of unless it's an indie rock gig you yeah. like, you're like right? you know what I'm just going into the amp yeah. because this is the, I only have to do one thing right. so What what is all this dealing you know what I mean exactly, exactly. so it's it's that's amazing. a fascinating story well, to and me. That's like, thing, like, know, like a, and that's the thing. You know I just bring a fuzz and a delay and I have volume now. And, and I'm set, go. dude. Yeah. Right. Tuner.
1: And that's the funny thing. It's like, and don't get me wrong, there was a time and a place for like guitar geekdom and having Absolutely. 50 different distortion pedals. And in the studio, that's super relevant. I have a bunch and I use them all the time. But like, really, like you said, if you're getting called to do a gig for a sound for a thing, you... Just put what you need there. Just put do what that. What would you trust? What you know. Other yeah. than that, you're not going to touch those pedals anyway. <laughs> you know what I <laughs> yeah. mean? It's like, I think of like, you want to go all the way to that side of things. Like Clapton plays through, what does he play? Like a blues junior directly in.
0: Directly in, and he controls it all from and the that's guitar. It, yeah. Right? It's like, that's yeah. awesome. And he's a master. Exactly. Which you do that anyway. You, I mean, you, I try. you are that sort of player. I try. You yeah. can do the whole delay volume. I mean, you have that too, but at the end of the day, a real guitar player it's right in your hands that's you know what totally I mean? true of course
1: right they always say like tone is in your hands tone it's is in your guitar. Hands. right?
0: I can't so, sound like you right you can't Sambora sounds like Sambora yeah it right. just is yeah things,
1: exactly exactly but yeah it's I don't know that stuff is fascinating I'm always like trying to find ways to get simpler and easier even just like New York gigs like Can I walk on the train without sweating, without carrying all this gear? I'd love that. I'm going to bring one pedal to this gig and see what I can do. Yes. You know what what I mean? What's
0: the least amount of shit? That's a super New York thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, of course. I will use whatever amp is at the venue. Right.
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) The fucking micro pedals, man. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a game changer. What we've gotten into. Yeah, of course. That's where it's at, dude.
0: Well, Greg, is there anything else we should do to wrap this up? I mean, thank you for, number one, being so generous with your
1: stories. Oh, man.
0: Heartfelt real stories. I didn't even, I not you never know where these are going to go. Of course.
1: I, I mean, it's, it's, I'm a, fascinated. It's a pleasure to, t- I hope people find it interesting, man. I uh-huh. don't know. It, we'll see what there's happens. There's a but fan base for this. I, I hope sure. so. Um, but man, I don't know. What do you got? You got any stories about me or us that are funny that you remember from our t- years and years playing together, hanging together?
0: <laughs> a mayo story. I think, yeah, I think we nailed them. You okay, I mean? cool. I had one. I'm just a fan. I'm like a Greg Mayo fan. You know what I mean? Just, i geeky to say it in front of you. You know what I mean? I've learned. No, I've course. learned so much from you. Just asking you little questions and being in your presence. You know, like the discipline, the commitment. Uh, as a, a friend said, you know, Ryan Vaughn said, uh, being a sound man only takes, or being a side man only takes three things: showing up on time, knowing the tunes, and be cool. Yeah. And you've, you. Excel at all three, <laughs> things. and another thing we'll to talk you. about, Ryan. Here's a story, that I'll a Greg mail story that I can share. Okay, right. So in any band that you are in, you you become the de facto MD. <laughs> I don't even think you're getting extra bread. I don't even think you want to be. It's. Uh, I think Ryan described you as like the. Uh, what's the headline? The pride. The
1: guy. Oh like yeah, yeah. I know. Like, yeah, I know what you're talking. Whatever the name oh, there's of the term very specific, is. the Yeah.
0: There's, Painting of a Lion right over there. It's oh, there maybe that's yeah. why I'm thinking of it. Rembrandt. But you. That's my guy. In any <laughs> band, <laughs> but in any band, you become that guy. It could be someone else's project. Someone else could be the MD, but you're still the guy that's like, and here we go, and here's the bridge. You know, and like it's just you're the old dog, you're the young man. But you're the musically old, you're you're musically 70 years old, where maybe I'm musically like 15, you know what I mean? Like, the rest of you know, you you had this whole thing, as you've alluded to, just deconstructed for you, and you were there, and you're taking, you're the son of that guy. Yeah. Who, I'm, as you're saying, he probably didn't get more money to be the MD of the Peter Frampton Comes Alive record, nope. but he was, and he decided probably right. what the harmonies were, who Does oh, one no question, when? About yeah. no question about it? Yeah, question about it, you know. And you, right. you have this, it's natural, it, it, you can't teach that to someone,
1: right? You know what I mean. And 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 I'm, I'm thank you, I'm speechless when oh. you say stuff I, like means of the world to me that, like, that it, I mean, mo- most importantly, that it doesn't that it doesn't, doesn't come across like I'm being a dick about it.
0: No, that's that's <laughs> because, part like of the you deal. said, like,
1: it's just who I've been my whole life, like my high school band. We would rehearse at my house and I was the band leader kind of of that group. And then I was the, you know, I became the captain of the baseball team at school and that informed a lot of stuff, you know what I mean, of like how I worked in social situations where you're all working towards towards a goal together, you know, in that way. And I think like you're all trying to get to the same place and clearly in a band you're getting there hopefully at the same time (laughs) and with the same intensity, right? So if I can help... This stuff like we were saying earlier, if I can help it from becoming a train wreck ever, then of course. Yes. No doubt about it. And I try my best to not step on toes, right? If someone else is the band leader and it's they're they're asserting themselves as that, I'm more than happy to be the guy. To be the other guy. I'm the guy. You're on the like, side you're, man, you're, you're, you're telling me what player to do. Too, yeah. You're so, right. I'm following the ship. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I like to think, and I said this to friends of mine, like, you're when you show up into a rehearsal, like you said, you show up to be on time, you show up to learn the stuff, you show up to be cool. But like also, just because, like for example, if you're getting called to, um, like say someone's calling me to play guitar in a band, mm-hmm. right, or to be a sideman, like part of what I bring to the table, part of the reason they might call me, like you said, is because I show up on time and I learn the tunes and I'm cool, but also because I can shed some light on other things as well, right? Yeah. Like... If somebody needs help coming up with the harmony part i can do that or i can even sing it mm-hmm. if the piano player needs help with the voicing or if i'm playing guitar voicing here and they're doing the exact same voicing we want to color it up a bit i can say oh man what if you threw in this here like i have that knowledge and i can throw that in there so that all is part of what makes me me as a musician and why i hope people like to call me because i have that that extra all these little... other things right. that you've right so like Ultimately. I said, as long as I'm not stepping on toes, I think we're all working towards the same thing. And if I can help us get there better, not faster, obviously, but better, then then that's what I'm trying to do. You know? What yeah. I mean? Any setting I'm in, if I can make it marginally better, then I'm doing my job and I'm happy about yes. that.
0: And, and into the same sense, very early on, and as we move through life, uh, I feel like the better people let people be who people are. That's a lot of the word people, but it's like... <laughs> you yeah. just this is what this person does. I know what they can do, and I'm gonna let them do that. I yeah. feel like, you know, man, it's something of youth, or I think it's it's people who have less experience and they try to like get so specific or make you alter your thing. Of course. Right, and, you know, like, it's like I'm like whatever young with you, and you're just like, Yeah, that's you sound good, but right. we gotta all end on beat four. So <laughs> right. but you were you you were never micromanaging, but yet sure. the Mayo band was always the tightest band. Well, and it was it was like a big picture grass. So that's something, too, that like not many people want that or they want what they yeah, have. Yeah, of course. They want right. their selves, or they want. Or what did right. Joe deal? you know? He said Sting wants a drummer who's Stuart Copeland with a leash on.
1: Yeah. Right. Oh, my right. God. Like, yeah.
0: Well, that's he, exactly right. I'm not Stuart Copeland with a leash right. on, man. I, I'm right. me. There's only X amount of things I could do. Exactly. And well, you, and that's you the... have an ability to recognize that and allow people to do that as well. Like, Eric or, White, he's a fucking sick oh singer, sick oh, rhythm guitar player, right. and that's that's his thing. You're like, right. well, that's what that is, you yeah.
1: know? Right. Except, right, exactly. Well, that's the thing. It's like you're be- like, and it's a no brainer, really. There's two ways to look at it. Like, you, you, if you have a deep enough rolodex and you know enough musicians who do enough different things, yeah, you put the lineup together that's going to accomplish what you want to, and when you allow them, I mean, when you take people quote-unquote off the leash and they do what it is you expected them to do because that's what they do well, then clearly you look like a genius and they sound awesome and the band sounds awesome. (laughs) Yeah, and everything kind of comes together, yeah. But then at the same time, it's like you can also, if you're you're cool enough about it, you let the band, like you said, even if quote-unquote like I'm the leader of the band, like you let it steer itself in a way, as long as it doesn't completely off the rails, like you work... Towards the people's strengths, right? Like you said, yeah. Eric is the grooviest motherfucker in the world. Such a
0: groovy dude. Yeah.
1: And sinks his ass off. Like, I'm gonna give him as much room as he wants. And I'm Isn't gonna even thing, push him thing. a little bit if 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 he's into that, to do more of it. Yeah. Because it makes us all sound better, it makes the band better, right? So mm-hmm. like to like micromanage, it's like, you know, and this is not the greatest analogy, but the people who know let the least talk the most. The you most, know what I mean? Yeah. Right? Like trying to like strangle something out of someone who isn't that isn't what they do yes it's it's like you're not going to get anywhere and you're going to get people pissed at you (laughs) yeah and then the whole vibe is
0: ruined right exactly you know now that we're in our mid-30s i think we've probably mostly outgrown that i like to think so yeah (laughs) i I mean i hope so (laughs) i'm I'm looking you know in the hindsight where you're just like man this dude has no idea right what why is he telling this drummer to do symbol harmonics. That was the one moment where I was oh, like, you're awesome. Yeah. This isn't Ari Hoeing, dude. Like, you're in the wrong zone, man. Right. Like, <laughs> oh my God. he's supposed to play. Exactly. Whatever, that's a stupid example. But, but you but, know what I mean. Yeah.
1: But that's the funny thing. And and it's funny how that relates to being a producer too, right? Yeah. If I'm working with someone who wants to bring in a band on a ta- on a song or two and I know stylistically what they're going for, I like to think that I'm going to call the right guy and they're just going to, with with small little notes, if at all, they're going to do what's Necessary, what's meant, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if they're going for like an, you know, if they want Abe Laborial and they can't afford I'm gonna get Zach Jones. Yeah, you're gonna, get... right? If <laughs> they want,
0: he, he would be the
1: right, yeah. If they want Levon Helm, but obviously rest in peace and he couldn't afford him either, you can get Josh Dion. You get Dion, yeah. And like, there's a guy for each thing. There is. And especially in New York, we have some of the greatest musicians in the world. So just like book the right guy and you don't have to do any of that stuff, I guess, is what I guess I'm getting around yes, to. Yes, you know what No, I mean? of course. Yeah. So that's I'm I'm really glad that it that it comes across that way because that's really what I try to do. I don't want to like strangle someone into doing something that like again they're not gonna do great anyway because it's not what they do. They do something else really good. No, it, and
0: that's why they're professional, you know? You've recognized that. And I think from an early age you recognized that. You know what I mean? I think that's something that comes with sure. age, but you were like at a, as a young man, like, well, this is what this person does, and so this is what we'll do. Yeah. But in the band, we're always hitting the big points. You know, like of course, okay, everybody. So that's on the end of three. Uh, you know, yeah, of course, <laughs> so right? I'm like the Mayo. Yeah. You're like, <coughs> I feel like the Mayo notes. You know what I mean? Like, you're like an NFL coach. You know, you play the two, and then you had like your points that you had to get across. But you remember so specifically. You know, you you read like I'm, I use NFL coaches because it's like they'll have like in, Tom Coughlin talking. You know, I like, play sixty seven. The uh, linebacker. You're like, what? Oh, the How do they have yeah, such yeah, right. specific recall right. of this esoteric game? And that's almost—it's almost like music, like your thing. You're like, you're, you're the head coach of this whole big thing. You're Bill Walsh, of the West yeah. Coast, and you're yeah, able yeah. to like see all these pieces. And you're like, yeah. So the horns are playing the six, and I needed them on the flats. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, you know, I don't sure, know, yeah. you know.
1: And now the, I'm getting super specific, and but not, that's something and that you had. One of my favorite little anecdotes that I tell people, and it's funny how you say it that way because that actually comes back to dad as well. Everything kind of comes back to dad musically for me in a way, one way or another. Yeah. But when I was a kid, I was playing Little League and even like, you know, whatever the league after the middle school league, whatever it was, I was always a little bit bigger than everybody else. And I was a pitcher, and I hit fourth, and I had like a good career quote going. You know, yeah, and I was getting through
0: Threw the ball like ninety miles. Yeah, down sure.
1: Or right. So you could have been a minor league baseball player, Greg. Yeah, whatever, whatever. I'm glad that I didn't go down there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I hear you. Thank you. Um, so I, uh, so I'm in like middle school or even elementary school still, and I'm pitching, right? And Dad would come to the games when he was in town, and I would be throwing, you know, you know, I I knew how to throw fastball, threw changeup, and eventually threw curveball. I started to throw sliders here and there. I was like a
0: you had four pitches in middle school. I was, schooler, I was bro. crazy, stupid like that, <laughs> you know.
1: And I could really, I had really great placement on my pitches as well. I was really good at like low outside. That's where it's going to go. Make them chase it up. That's where it's going to. go. I was good at that. And Dad knew that as well. And even if sometimes the catcher or the coach didn't know that, and we would call pitches, and sometimes it would work, or whatever. My dad on the ride home though, after all of these games he would have that same exact type of recall. He would say, man, in the fourth inning, the third batter, you had a guy on first base and you threw a curveball outside and he hit it down left. Like, why did you throw that pitch like that? Like, mm. what happened? He's like, like, why don't you throw it
0: down and away? Yeah. Right,
1: and he says, but the pitch previous, he fouled off up and in, so why don't you go back with, the-? like, he had the whole thing and he had his old chess way of looking at it. Like, Especially as pitchers and catchers, that's what you do. Yeah, that's but game. like the game of chess, yeah. But like the first couple times he would do it, I'd be like, what the hell are you talking I'm just throwing balls, man. Yeah, I'm just throwing, the, just just throwing having a good my time, time heat, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> throwing fastballs that can't catch up. I'm good, man. Yeah. <laughs> but after a while, of course, like I started to think that way too in baseball games. Mm-hmm. And I would like call my own game. Sometimes I'd shake the catcher off and sometimes we'd get on the same wavelength. And after a while, I would like be able to answer those questions. Be like, oh, well, actually, if you remember when he was up in the second inning, he chased that curveball outside and he didn't learn. So I tried it again. That's why I did that. That's why I threw that And we would right. have these yeah. conversations and it like just helped my memory. Maybe he was just smarter than everybody and he was working on my memory skills by doing that or maybe it was – who knows what it was. Maybe it was it
0: awareness. Yeah, Exactly.
1: Teach, it, it's all about an awareness. <clears> totally. It. So like that sort of helped me understand all that type of stuff and to have memory of those deeper kinds of thoughts. But like – that was the way Dad was about everything, like we said earlier. And I hope if I have a fraction of that, then I'm doing something right with my brain, and it's going well. Yeah, well, you do. You know? I'm
0: sure. He he made you very aware of that. I mean, yeah, your ability to do <laughs> to do that in a rehearsal after the tune, and I, and I can see your brain too, because you'll be like, I don't know, it'll be like someone making a joke, and you'll be like, uh huh, yeah, well, okay, here's the three points I'm going to address. <laughs> right. And then you do it. A Very subtle stuff, too. The deep musicians, you could be as subtle, like, ah, I think this should be like two clicks slower. Oh, uh, yeah. I remember being yeah. a kid, be like, two yeah. clicks. And then you're like, all of a sudden the groove feels like, you're like, oh, that yeah. was it. It's right. these little details, yeah. you know, that can make massive changes. Right.
1: And you know what's, fun, what's funny about that, too, is like, you sometimes, after you do something and you think about it that way for a long time, for whatever reason... You get proved right later in life. Yeah. Like I realize that, like, especially, I mean, with all musicians, but with drummers because they're always the guy who's got the click in their ears. Yeah. Like two clicks can make all the difference, not only because of the tempo being two clicks slower or faster, but because of the way the drummer interprets that tempo differently. Mm-hmm. That changes everything, right? So maybe the groove felt better one or two clicks different. Because the drummer felt that tempo way more than they did the other tempo. And that's why it feels better. Not because it's slower, but because the drummer's playing it better. They're just grooving harder on it. Right? So, like, I realized that as I start to produce tunes and start to make records with different drummers. And I realized, like, oh, yeah, I was right all along, but for a different reason than I thought. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's kind of funny how that works out that way. You know, it's weird, but anyway. Um, but I guess one last thing I want to say. I don't know if we're running out of time. No, no, no. There's,
0: there's no limit.
1: Okay. Say it. One last thing I want to say, and I'll say it here publicly. I guess for all in the world to hear it. Years ago, you told me that you would love for me to do something that I'm going to start to do, and I'm telling myself that I'm going to do it. You're going to do it on recording, so you have I'm to. On recording, Greg. so I have to do it, right? And you can hold me to it anytime. I, I will, want. Greg. And yeah. everyone listening, all... 10 or a million people listening, yeah. however many people are going to hear this. You told me one day, or many times you told me, you know what, Mayo, you you should do? You should every year make a record in a different style under your own name. Like next year you can make a blues record, the next year you can make a pop record, the next year you should make a folk record, whatever, whatever. Even if it's just an EP, you just got to get stuff out because you do all song. this different yeah. stuff cool and it'd be really rad to hear your, your interpretation of those different things. Yeah. And that's always been on my mind. And I've always thought, like, that's a really cool project. It's a cool idea. I would love to do that. And, of course, I'm always like, oh, life gets in the way. and I never get around to doing it. Like, I'm going to do it with you and these microphones as my witness. I'm going to do it because it's a really rad idea. And I have to just just set aside the time to do that every once in a while. Even if I am producing more than ever and I hope that I am and I'm working with other people, I have to, like, push my own stuff here and there. And I want to do that. You really do. And I love just the guilty pleasure of like, oh yeah, I want to play, I want to write a blues tune today and let's see what happens. I don't want to write a folk tune today and let's see what happens. Like if I can do that every once in a while and just put it out and who cares who listens to it, even if you're the only guy who listens to it, well, I'll, listen I'll do it you. for you and yeah. it'll be fucking great. So that's, it's going to happen. I'm calling it right now. It's going to happen.
0: Well, Greg, I mean, there's, you have some like lost recordings that right. maybe only I have.
1: That's right. Because you were, uh, you were like, always the one well, like, were like were yo, gonna, send it along. Send I want to hear I want to hear what you're
0: working on. You were that that's one true. whole thing, you were, it was... Right after kind of the Mayo Band heyday, before the Brooklyn Sugar Company. Yeah, yeah of course. And you made those like very. Yep. Yeah. I don't mean this in a bad way, but almost like '80s. Yeah, yeah. Like
1: synth. Yeah, it was yacht rocky
0: and yacht '80s rocky, pop thing. Yeah, of '80s course. pop. Yeah, it's your Howlin' Oats. Yeah, oh yeah. You don't even know it's in there. It's yeah. just in there, and yep. you made that all that stuff. And Greg sent me these, and I usually don't listen to people's demos <laughs> for pleasure, <laughs> right? You know, I was just like, sure. but I was like, we originally yeah. were putting the tracks on, and just feel like, God damn, this is good music, you know, like yeah. And then, and then that's kind of right, right around that. I think that maybe you know that's when you kind of started
1: the Brooklyn Shirt yes, Company, and you right. guys went into like, kind of American of rock. Yeah, yeah. Each tune has its Each own color, its own but color. it's in that same old school rock sort of world. old school rock yeah. zone, right? Yeah. So, Which obviously is huge so you, for you all of us. So you haven't really done. I haven't done what we've talked about. No, yeah. and I and it's funny those tunes are still in the back of my mind. Still like still, I can refine somewhere. those and put. The, <laughs> Because they're red, <laughs> I want to do something with them. No, that was like a period. Yeah. So. Like Picasso's Blue period. It's, it's like <laughs> Yacht Rock period. Right? You know? like, um, but yeah, I think I, I want to refine those and do something. At least if the first EP that I do is like that era of music and that vibe, then that's what's going to come out first at some point. Or I'm, maybe I won't put that kind of final point on it, but those music will see the light of day because I love those tunes. That, those are good tunes. And it's like you bring up an interesting point
0: as a musician, as an artist... There's no one really gonna hold a gun to your head and say, Okay, you have to release your folk record this week. <laughs> and next week is gonna be your right. like if you did a funk record. I mean you you're you know, you lend your talents to all these people, but imagine if you were just like, All right, I'm gonna do a punk record. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Come on, yeah, man. dude. Yeah. But your spirit <clears throat> comes through. How many times do we hear people say like, Oh, all the songs are too different? I'm like, man, I hear you in every song. Exactly. I, I don't Exactly. Right. Maybe this sounds more punk rock and this sounds more reggae, or something. But I just still hear you. Right. I hear your songs, your voice, and I think your spirit is that strong that even if you were to do whatever song, I'm yeah. still just hearing Greg Mayo. I'm not going to hear it as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Like I, that's a that's something that's that's like a casual listener, non musician. Sure, I of course, no, of course. They of course. break it down like, oh, this is so different. Like, oh, it's, not. it's the same.
1: Yeah, it's the same guy. He's just doing a different thing. You should do that, just... though. I, I don't know. I, in a
0: way, I was going to lead to a point of how we can hold you to it or make well, you do it or you have to well, write this is it a
1: calendar. Yeah. This is how. how we just set happen? it on this podcast, and it's going to fucking happen.
0: So when can we expect the first release? January? How about January? No,
1: no, 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 no. I got a, thankfully, I'm not I got a full calendar through the end of this year making records, which is awesome. Yes. Like all through, like straight through to Christmas, I'm working. But... The cliff, like we talked about, for my weekdays, my weekends, weddings and stuff are booked far it's in booked, advance, yeah. and some other things. But like my studio stuff, January is that cliff. So maybe yep. January is when I work on the stuff, and then put it out maybe late winter, springtime, something like that. And springtime, it would just be like springtime. it would just be like Spotify and Bandcamp, and I'm not going to go crazy. I'm just going to put it up and tell people online, and if they want to hear it, they can hear it. I'm not yeah. going to go crazy about it. But uh, yeah, that's that's the goal. That what you, you got to just book your own record time, I, yeah, man. I mean, write it in your book. Be like,
0: okay, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of the third week of January, I'm only gonna do my shit. Here. No, you,
1: honestly, you're absolutely <laughs> right? right. Because like, like yeah. thankfully, we're busy enough that like, unless you do that, it stuff will come in and you'll work on other. Which is all great, but like it's New York, that thankfully, you comes. have to book even time for yourself, man. It's huge. It's crazy. It's huge. Like booking, a, like actually consciously trying to book a day off is really weird. It's a trip. I recently
0: did it, because September was grinding, man. Right. Right? And I I was like, I am not doing anything. You have to look ahead. On October 1st. Right. I I canceled three things, too. No shit? Good for you, though, man. Yeah. But some of your body needs... Right. I I needed to reset.
1: I completely agree. Yeah. And you value it so much when you realize what you're missing when you don't have it, and when you do have it for once. Even if you just sit on the couch all day or fucking... No, that's what I have to do. Right. Yeah. Don't touch the instrument. Don't do anything. Just Hang. Yeah, but your spirit kind of re. So I've been trying to like book that in every once in a while when I know that I have like a mountain of stuff coming. I try to make sure, like, if Sunday is my day of rest, then that's what it's going to be, even if it's only every two weeks or every three weeks or once a month or whatever the hell it is. Like, yeah. Just have to do it. Because we're going to take every gig every. Yeah. Right.
0: We're we're taking everything.
1: Right. It's like say yes to. I mean, even from out of college, you say yes to everything because you don't know when the last offer is going to come in. You got to keep saying
0: yes. The clip is there. Right. Gig at 1 a.m
1: do it. Yeah. Might never do that gig again again.
0: Yep. That might be the last hundred dollars I ever <laughs> yeah. make
1: as a musician. I gotta do it, man. I have to do this It's For real, dude. Uh,
0: yeah, dude. Holy cow. Well, alright, so this is, this is serious, Greg. Thank you so much for taking the time.
1: It's been an honor, man. It's been a pleasure. I always love shooting shit with you, buddy. Always, dude. Big love. Boom. Alright,
0: thanks, Greg.